everybody and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas and I'm here with Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Strackbine. Hey, hey, it's Matt. Hey. <laughs> Last week we talked about that we'd have a little surprise this week and so yeah we have Matt. Thank you so much for joining us Matt. Thank you for having me. This is gonna be fun. Yeah and so to address that a little bit I'll probably put a post up on this but so Matt was gonna come on to help us talk about an unmarked grave he was still game to join us this week for what we're going to do instead. So again, thanks so much. And so for this week, we'll be doing a different book club, and then we'll get to that Unmarked Grave episode next week. Matt Strackbine, book club member. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> In the house. <laughs> oh, yeah. Go check out Mignolaverse.com. Danny LaPlante has a new podcast over there, and they're using one of the Only Beast songs as a theme. Which song? It's Love Letter from our album again. So thanks so much, you damn guys. Check out their April 2019 episode at Mignolaverse.com. I'm always asking for reviews. All the work that we do here on the show is free, but we're always happy to have more listeners and grow our club. So you can help us out by leaving us a review, following us on social media, recommending us on Facebook, or just tell a friend about us. You ever tell a friend about the podcast? I talk about it all the time, but I can't get anybody listening. To <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank Nicholas Orzaga for recommending us on Facebook. Hey, you damn guys, I stopped collecting comics in 2006 as my first child was on the way. I've since caught up on Hellboy through the library editions and jumped back on with the Hellboy and the BPRD series and Devil You Know. I kept hoping that the BPRD series would get a library treatment since I missed out on the hardcovers and with more than 100 issues released since The Black Flame. It all seemed a bit overwhelming on where to jump in. While rereading and then listening to the podcast, it convinced me I needed to get back in however I could. I just found a significant run at a local comic book store and binge read the Universal Machine, Garden of Souls, and Killing Ground. And I want to thank you guys for inspiring me to catch up. I love your podcast for both the insight and the personalities. You guys rock. So thank you so much, Nicholas. And that's all good stuff. That's, yeah, That's yeah. literally what we're doing, what we're here for. Yeah. Get, read the stories. Read them in and then you're hanging out with your friends and reading Hellboy. Back to you, John. <laughs> There's so much good stuff in the Universal Machine and Garden of Souls, so I'm glad you're getting caught up on all that. Oh, good stuff, though. And I also want to thank Fermented on Podbean for leaving us a kind comment. They said, such a wonderful show. It's like chatting in your living room with longtime friends about something you love to think about. It's literally what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for your comment, and I also want to thank... DJ Alpha T on Twitter. He said, Hey, you damn guys. Now I'm up to episode 30. Loving the podcast. You three are great together, insightful and funny, just how I like it. And so that's the Hellboy in Mexico episode where we all had a little bit of, a oh, little bit oh, of drink on that. Yeah, so that was a good one. <laughs> right. That's actually our first comment on Podbean, right? No, we've had a couple. I okay. think we've had a couple on there. Okay, well then, never mind. Do you, uh, how are you enjoying Podbean? You're on there, Matt, right? With your uh, Letter Hack podcast? Yeah. Yeah, I'm only on there. I don't do anything to promote the podcast. Uh, <laughs> it is, it, well, I should say it's intentionally the most non-commercial thing that I do. Because <laughs> everything I do, everything else I do is purely commercial. Right. Uh, you know, for a living. So, so yeah, I just, I put it up on Podbean and I leave it there and I don't have any complaints at all. Yeah, actually, yeah. I really enjoy your podcast too. I've listened to it. Uh, I really appreciate that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. And we were talking a little bit the other day and it's just funny. I think it's funny how when you listen to someone's podcast, you kind of feel like you know them. So then when we started talking, it was just kind of like, it was very easy to just start talking to you. feel like I know right. you already after like listening to all your episodes. So you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself if they don't know you already? He has a three-legged dog. It's awesome. <laughs> I do. That's true. Oh, that's I have awesome. two dogs. And a total of seven legs between them. <laughs> but yeah, I live in Colorado and I'm an art director out here, like a freelance art director and cool. a comic book maker and a graphic artist. I used to be in the apparel industry and now I broke out on my own so that I could, you know, focus on like art and um, jobs that are more creative and not so technical. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's, awesome. that's me. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, and your latest podcast, if uh, people want to check out the Letterhack podcast, you talk, you go in a little bit more detail about your comic history and uh, your advice for getting into comics. So, yeah, definitely check that out. That was a great episode. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I have found that the best way to get exposure, although you might not get paid for the gig, and that's kind of like a negative thing, doing jobs just for exposure and right. no money. But if you get in on anthology comic books that are for a good cause, then everyone wins. You right. get lots of exposure and, um, you know, you're you're in a book with all kinds of professionals and who cares if you didn't get paid? And uh, I was in one called Where We Live, which benefits the survivors of the Las Vegas shooting from a f- couple years ago. And that is currently nominated for an Eisner. Wow. That's so awesome. You know, so I'm glad I didn't get paid for that. I mean. (laughs) Yeah, I have a a strict thing about not working for exposure unless it's for a good cause. Right, or like like, a charitable. Like like all the the earnings from whatever it is, if it's an art thing or a music thing or whatever it is, goes to benefit people who need it. You know, that kind of thing. I, th- I think that that's right. fine. You know, if you're if you're raising money for someone who has cancer or has suffered in some way or needs money to rebuild their house or whatever it is, like, if you're raising money for someone, that's good. But otherwise, please don't fucking work for exposure. Right. Please don't fucking <laughs> right. do it. Right. Or, or a case of beer or whatever. <laughs> yeah, if there's something, if you're, if you're getting something out of it, you're fine with it. But, like, the more people will work for nothing... The more people will realize that and take advantage of that and then no one's getting paid anything and then people will expect that and any work that you're doing in any creative field is just people are are like, what do you mean you're not going to work for free? You're getting so much exposure. Like, no, go fuck yourself, actually. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) I agree. Speaking of that Where We Live anthology, there's a Mignola pinup in there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was the one he did for Aurora Rising. Yeah. Which was another benefit. Yeah. And so he and Dave Stewart are both in the book. So I'm in a book with them. That's amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Super good. And there's like 170 different people involved. And um, so like Kurt Busiek's in there. Wow. Oh, just about anyone that you'd want to be in a book with is in there. It's pretty cool. That is so awesome. That's really awesome. good. Yeah. So check yeah, out everyone that. came out. Yeah, make sure to check out that anthology. I also wanted to talk a little bit about Lawrence Campbell's sketchbook. If you're, uh, we haven't got to Lawrence Campbell's stuff, but if you're familiar with his work from reading the other BPRD titles, he's got a sketchbook out, and they're going pretty quick. You can contact him on Twitter if you want to order one of those. 
But um, yeah, I ordered one. It was really good. So I, I always like to promote the artists of the books. And I also wanted to talk about this Netflix rumor. Did you all see this on social media this weekend? Well, I did. Mike Mignola posted that on his own yeah. Facebook thing. Well, I saw it on the, the Mike Mignola art page, but I saw Mignola jump in on there commenting on it. I think yeah. someone would have would have told me about that or whatever he yeah, said. Yeah, exactly. Did you see that article, Matt? No, I did not. What are you talking about? So <laughs> there, there, was a, there, there was a Netflix rumor. Everybody got all excited about it that Hellboy and BPRD were going to Netflix and everybody was sharing it. And then yesterday... Yesterday, Mignola chimed in and he was like basically saying that he didn't know anything about it and that he would probably know. And uh, I would have heard something and, about and, that. Yeah. And when the article came out, I already felt a little suspicious about it because it had no references whatsoever. It was some article that some website that I'd never really heard of. And uh, yeah, so the now it turns out now that it was probably just like speculation or whatever, or someone just trying to build internet hype. You know how like sometimes if something gets enough attention on the internet, then it'll happen. So I wonder if that's what they were trying they did to that do with here. Deadpool or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That is going on right now with. Did you ever watch the cartoon Batman Beyond? Oh yeah. man, I love that cartoon. <laughs> so right now, their fans are trying to promote the idea of a live action version, and the old Bruce Wayne will be played by Michael Keaton. Oh, that'd be so good. That would be awesome. That'd be so good. Yeah, that'd be the right? big, amazing dreamcasting. Uh, it's like the amount of years that have gone by are also perfect. Right. <laughs> oh, it'd be so good. Well, who would you cast as Terry? I have no idea. Doesn't matter. It, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. <laughs> if we get Michael, Michael Keaton, Keaton for it. nothing else matters. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that would be so awesome. And so there's the no bat hound in there. There's no basis to that, but people are just running crazy with it on the internet, is what you're saying. Yeah. Awesome. See, that's right. That's actually been one of like my dreams ever since uh, the Chris Nolan Christian Bale Batman ended. Right. You know, I'm always like, man, that would be so cool. I didn't tell anybody because like, why? <laughs> It's one of my yeah. dream speculations. Anyway, that's such an exciting prospect. But yeah, it turns out that it's just a rumor right now. So I always like to, you know, get the straight talk out there. And My whole question is, doesn't Lionsgate own the rights to Hellboy? I mean, how can Netflix just up and make one? Right. They have no, yeah. they can't. That's it's the impossible. whole point. Because that's what he's saying. I know yeah. they had that first look deal with, with Dark Horse, but... Well, if, if Mignola hasn't heard about it, yeah. it's yeah. not happening. It's like, probably it's, not happening. It's still creator-owned stuff though. yeah but he doesn't own the rights no but they probably would have said something to him about i think it. yeah i think he would he would probably know now we're gonna go on to some listener feedback hey, you damn guys. Drinking with skeletons. Kill the black we had some feedback on IAV Studios' question from last week. Some of our listeners chimed in on Albert's question, which I thought was fun. He had asked, which, what of our favorite characters out of the Mignola-verse? Jerry Turnbull said, my favorite characters other than Hellboy are Agent Howards and Simon Anders. And Jen Niklas, happy birthday, by the way. It was Jen Niklas' happy birthday. Happy birthday, Jen Niklas, book club member. Yeah, he said... <laughs> His favorite character besides Hellboy is Kate because Kate has her shit together and she doesn't even need superpowers. That's real badassery. It's true. What about you, Matt? We chimed in, but you didn't get to uh, chime in last week. Who are your favorite characters in the Mignolaverse other than Hellboy? Well, so what was it, like top three or something? Or just anyone. I mean, we we picked three, I think, each because we couldn't decide on one. (laughs) It's really hard to choose. So my scale goes from the Black Flame to Roger, the Black Flame being one. <laughs> and and Roger being a ten, my okay. my most favorite. And I think um Roger's a solid choice. Yeah. Yeah, Roger's my favorite, hands down. But um 
I love Kate Corrigan stories. Yes. Yes. And I think there's a lot of ground to cover there with her. Uh, I think you guys were talking about this last week. We did, yeah. You know, like maybe her college years or something like that. And and, um, yeah, anyway, I don't want to say too many spoilery things. Right, right. (laughs) I love that character. I've always loved her. I thought... I mean, what other character in the Hellboy universe can put on like a knit hat and the fans get excited about it? I know, it's true. <laughs> or like she wears a skirt and everyone notices. Yes, you know? yeah. that's so true. She's great. Yeah, I love her. Super good. Great answer. Yeah, I love her. Yeah. D- did we talk about Daimyo? Yeah, Daimyo. Aubrey mentioned Daimyo last week. You did, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. And we're going to talk about Daimyo a little bit more today. That's why I bring it up because yeah. we're about to get into that. We also had some feedback um, from way back. So we, I mention this every once in a while. If anyone wants to get feedback on something we talked about a long time ago, you know, you're free to do that. I always enjoy getting these uh, little, you know, nit bits from other people. And so Nicholas Orzanga, he gave us some feedback on the Thug Shots advertisement. Oh, Remember when we talked about those yeah. Thug Shots, oh little God, shot glasses? What do you oh, guy What do you say? So he said, don't know if anyone ever pointed this out. I'm way behind you damn guys. But these are actual quotes from Warner Brothers gangster movies from the 1930s and 40s. What do you hear? What do you say? Is James Cagney and Angels with Dirty Faces? Mother of Mercy. Is this the end of Rico? Is from Edward J. Robinson in Little Caesar. Was you ever stung by a dead bee? Walter Brennan and later Lauren Bacall in To Have or To Have Not. And Top of the World Ma is James Cagney in White Heat. Wow. Yeah, okay. so I didn't know that. I like having, I like having that bit of trivia. That's awesome. We had some feedback on BPRD, Hell on Earth, Russia. Jerry Turnbull said... Jerry Turnbull, book club member. I talked about this scene last week where Yosef, he pours this liquid on that scientist and then he turns into oh, some crazy yeah. frog thing. And I read his comments. Yeah. yeah, Jerry Turnbull said, Yosef didn't turn the conspiring scientist into a monster. He was possessed by a spirit of an Ogdraham, and the green liquid revealed the infection. Uh, yeah, so uh, I didn't. So thanks for pointing that yeah, out. Yeah, nice. Good catch. When I posted about that weird face hole, you know, Tyler Crook had drawn that, uh, yeah, his face, that hole. face hole thing. <laughs> Draslet on Instagram said, that still makes me shudder. And Jerry Turnbull shared an article about this oddly shaped lava formation. So. I don't know if you've seen this. It's kind of gone viral. It's located in Hawaii over the West Kamokuna Lava Skylight. And it's this, it's a lava skylight. It's a photo from 1996. And it looks like all this lava is curling into this skylight, but it kind of looks like bodies. Have you uh. seen that? Yeah, so it, but it kind of looked like that weird face hole gross thing. Neat. Jan Niklas said, Oh, you guys, all those jabs were in good humor. Remember all the stuff that he gave last episode, no, last great. episode about the Germans? That's excellent. He said the Hellboy verse just uses its archetypes, and enough occultists were very German and very Bavarian. (laughs) And at least they get it right, that Bavarians are the worst. (laughs) 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 But they are not all evil. I mean, we have Johan, who's also the worst. Crap. Well, this is a good one. If I could summarize the best parts of the story, it would be Johan gets better, meaning better suit, and he starts to be less of a jerk. Also, Yosef. He kills, he intrigues, and he's on our side. Double yay. Hear you next week. Well, and uh, I was going to say next, you know, uh, there were a lot of people who chimed in. They were very happy that Yosef was in the comic. Taylor Dodeman said, such an awesome character. Nathaniel Green said, this was such a huge surprise development. One of the more endearing moments that made me a loyal reader. Drew Campbell said, seriously, after reading The Abyssal Plane, could anyone have guessed that Yosef would become such a major character? And Jason Abaddon said, remember, we couldn't pronounce his name. 
So Jason Adabon said it's a uh, Nachekov. That's how you would say the Nechekov. first, the okay, last cool. name, I guess. Okay. He says, talk about climbing the ladder of rank from disposable guard to mindless zombie to director of the supernatural division. He's a go-getter, baby. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for always telling us how to pronounce things. Yeah, we appreciate that. What about you, Matt? Because I talked about that last week. I did not. Do, had you read Abyssal Plane when Russia had come out? Yes. Yeah. And, and did you ever see that, imagine that that character would be coming back to play kind of a major role in these other books? The character stood out to me. Oh, um, okay. It did, I, you know, I couldn't have guessed they were going to bring him back, and especially not in that way. But um, when I was reading his his appearance, or I guess his origin, right? Um, it, it stood out. I was like, well, this... They're introducing this guy for some reason. Yeah. And, and I didn't know if it was to help. Like, maybe they were introducing him to help move the story toward Russia. Right, but, right. But then they really embraced the guy. And I, I was always really happy with that. Yeah. And Ross Radke said, I was excited for you guys to get to Yosef in BPRD after listening to how delighted you were with his low-key origin in the Abe story. I wonder if he was always planned for greater things or if the writer just got a kick out of using a random zombie as a major character. And that's kind of what we were just talking about. And Mark Tweedell chimed in. He said that Guy Davis was doing Yosef's designs before he left the BPRD. So they probably knew that something was coming up. Yeah, so that's interesting. When I posted about Abe's transformation... Sarah Cole said, Abe is me after too much Taco Bell, just zero neck and unrecognizably bloated. (laughs) (laughs) He does kind of have a weird look to him, yeah. Taco Bell, gross. (laughs) I'm going to get Taco Bell tonight. Just go to an actual Mexican restaurant. Oh, no, I mean, Taco Bell's not Mexican food. I know. It's Taco Bell food. (laughs) And it's so great. (laughs) Gross. It's not. Why would you characterize it as great? Why? Because it's great. It's not. (laughs) It is. Ugh. (laughs) I posted a lot of amazing Tyler Crook art this week, including my favorite pinup from the Hell on Earth Omnibus Volume 1 of Kate Corrigan. Todd Bialis said, I really enjoy his art on BPRD, but I think it looks best when he paints himself, especially on the Harrow County series. And I've heard a lot of people recommend the Harrow County from Tyler Crook. Have you read that, Matt? Yes, it's a fantastic series. Oh, I need to get on that. I need to get on that. Yeah, it's great. But it was really cool. I don't know if you've seen this pinup, but Chase Antics on Twitter chimed in, and she actually has the original piece. Awesome. That piece that I posted today, and she bought it from Tyler Crook, and she said, yeah, Scott asked me if I'd be willing to share a scan for the book, and I was delighted to help more people see Tyler Crook's wizardry. Awesome. Last week, I also talked about that Danish witch documentary, Hazan, and it's based on the Malice... Maleficarum and Jason Abaddon said we might see a reference to that later in another Hellboy story and we also talked about David Hyde Pierce a little bit remember when we were talking about (laughs) Abe and Jason Abaddon mentioned that he's the perfect voice for Emperor Zombie in the Amazing Screw on Head cartoon yeah so he does provide voice for that cartoon we'll probably talk about that on a future episode oh some things I forgot to talk about so this is an example of all those errors last week I said colors by Dave Johnson instead of Dave Stewart and no one said anything I didn't even catch it and then when I was editing the episode I think I actually caught it and I was like I'm gonna go back and fix that and then I didn't and I was so mad at myself i hate it when i do stuff like that so anyway sorry about that obviously dave johnson does all the great colors on this series let's do it i just said it again what the shit (laughs) (laughs) so obviously dave stewart does the excellent colors on this series thank you aubrey 
And now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. This week, we're going to be talking about two stories. The first one being BPRD Hell on Earth, The Devil's Engine. This is a three-issue miniseries published from May to July 2012. The issues were released with covers by Duncan Fagredo with a Year of Monsters variant cover by Mike Mignola. For the trade, The Devil's Engine was placed before The Long Death. So yeah, these two stories that we read today, they were released in opposite order. But in the omnibus version for the reading order, they decided to put them in this order. I don't really think it makes that much of a difference, though. Did you think that was weird? Did you even remember that, Matt? That they were that they came out in different order? Yes, I did. Um, <laughs> and and I'll be reading off of uh, the single issues. Oh, nice. And and so it's kind of cool. Like it, one of the things that triggered that for me was at the back of the Devil's Engines. There's letters about. The Long Death. Oh, okay. Ah. Yeah, because we're looking at it in the omnibus version, and you wrote a lot of letters during that time. Are you featured in any of the letter columns on the single issues? Yes. Nice. Oh, nice. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, there, there were uh, there were several regulars. There, I'm, I wasn't the only letter hack. I think I was the one that got upset the most, maybe. <laughs> Or, or was obsessed with writing in the... I used to buy the comic, read the comic, write the letter. Right, wow, nice. right. Okay. Nice. Like all at once. So maybe I was obsessed. That's actually one thing I kind of miss about the uh, reading these omnibus. Because when I was a kid, when I grew up, I you know, would read the comic and I would obsessively read over the letter pages. Sure. Right. It was just so much fun. Uh, it yeah. added to my enjoyment of the well that's comics. where you get the yeah well that's where you, that's where you get the creator directly responding to people yeah. and right. kind of you get maybe these little gems these little insights into their process and what they're doing and what they're thinking and yeah i agree so in your letters that are featured in these issues what are you uh rep- what are you giving feedback on is it the long death or any of these stories the entire universe lobster johnson all kinds of stuff that was one of the cool things about the hell mail is it's not like they publish letters that relate to the book in your hand right like you could even read uh stuff about joe Gollum. Right. Uh, oh, an, yeah. Another yeah. Manola title. Yeah. Cool. Um, I think that has its own letter column now. But, you know, there's just something about the, I, I always refer to it as the long standing tradition of unsolicited opinion. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and comics. And, and, like, that's what any letter to the editor is, whether a newspaper, a magazine, or wherever. But comics is, I feel like it's unique because it's the reader engaging with the creators. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, like when Dark Horse had Conan, like sometimes Scott Alley, he was the editor on that for a while too. He would let the creators answer a letter. Oh, nice. So cool. Yeah. And so that was always really cool. One time he responded to a letter of mine and said, I just read this out loud to Mignola and he's rolling his eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, Yeah, but just the idea that he's hearing your words like in real time, that is so cool. Just one Yeah, and rolling his eyes. Yeah, and rolling his eyes. I used to always like to read the letters in the back of any comic, anything you're reading, they always include that. Well, not always, but often. And uh, I used to love the stuff like, hey, I just picked this up and I've never read it and I love it. And it really helped me out because I'm in the hospital and I'm. Oh right, I, yeah. I love stuff like that. And then you get the response of like, oh, I'm so glad this helped you out. Did you know? Here's some cool information for right. you. Here's a little extra, something to brighten your day. Like, here's some behind the scenes stuff or whatever. Like, I'm a parent sharing this comic with my kid and they love it and it's nice to be able to share it with them. I just love that feel good crap. Yeah, I think it's great. <laughs> yeah, I remember the BPRD camp. 
Yeah, we talked about that. The first time I found out about that was they gave a whole letter column to those guys. Wow, that is awesome. so cool. Amazing. Yeah. All right, this story, The Devil's Engine, the story is by Mignola and Arcudi, art by Tyler Crook, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. With some covers. With but, some covers. Yeah, the covers are by Duncan Figredo. Duncan and Figredo. it's so, I, I love whenever we get to see him do VPRD Duncan stuff. So, rules. Yeah. yeah, and this is like a nice, like, lovely painted picture. I mean, it's like big monster horribleness, but awesome. But for some reason, I just, I guess I was watching, because I was watching a lot of Bob Ross last week. This makes me think of, <laughs> reminds me of kind of like a Bob Ross thing. Right. I, mean, I got my happy little demon. Yeah. Here. <laughs> I'm going to paint the, yeah. the fire rolling up. And yeah. <laughs> well, Figredo's painting style is just oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And I got to I gotta bring up Dave Stewart again. I know we keep Oh, yeah, of course. It's amazing. Anyway. We open up on Bruiser Phoenix Dog. Who names their fucking dog Bruiser? It's not the 1940s. <laughs> There's no way a teenager is naming their dog Bruiser. I don't care. Like you know, that's, this what, really, that's, what, that's what grabbed you about this? This really shows, yes. It's well, the first thing. It's, it really shows the kind of peel the veil back. Like someone's writing this. That remembers when there were dogs called shit like Fido and Bruiser and crap like that. Well, There's no such fucking dog name. Well, anymore. maybe maybe somebody named it and it was on the name tag or his dog collar. I guess. And she, you know, like uh, sure. When, when we rescued Duncan, we didn't change his. No, name. we didn't change the dog's name. Yeah, so maybe the dog was already named Bruiser. Okay, that you oh, know okay. what we'll go with Good that. Point. I think that's that that calms me down a little bit. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad we could get to yeah. the meat of this of this uh, story right By here. By the way, everyone, about the Aubrey has name. a dog named Duncan, and he's a soft little lamey pie. Yeah, and oh, I love he's, him. He's a, he's a great baby. dog, and love I love him. him. And yeah. later, I'm going to tell everybody here about your dogs as well. You, we, I thought we already brought up the dogs. No, but we gonna, the other one is king of bones in the backyard <laughs> she she makes oh, yeah. she makes she makes nests of bones and twigs it's amazing yeah oh, you cool. want to talk a little bit about that matt yeah sure i i adopted a border collie that was feral for at least the first four years of her life amazing and when i was introduced to her it was at a border collie rescue and they said yeah we we now have 13 dogs there's no limit in colorado on how many animals you can have per sure. square foot in your house so well, that's cool they were kind of well, overdoing it but. sometimes it might not be cool though because yeah. then you get animal hoarders not that i'm saying oh, that wait, they wait, did wait. that but yeah okay yeah. Let, me, let me rephrase that <laughs> yes it can lead to animal hoarders i know won't say any more about that <laughs> it's it's cool if you're treating the if, the, if, if you have if a lot of property them. and you're treating animals right but then some people will cram like 80 pets in a house and it ends up being yeah awful. and they move through them pretty quick they were getting them adopted yeah good quickly, yeah they're, so. they're adopting them out it's one of those situations yeah. but you told me before we even record this podcast you you were telling me this is what john was talking about when we feel like we've been friends for a million years i got into a 20 minute tangent with you about your dogs because i just wanted to hear more about them is you went to this place to adopt a dog you were like i want to see the weirdest dog where's the weird dog that you can't adopt out where is that dog they're like okay and yeah. you go to the back and there's just a pile of sticks and bones and there's like yeah. this this border collie, and she's she's got she's she's like king of of creepy mountain back here. And you're like okay, and they're like oh she won't go near anyone. And then she comes and sits next to you. Is this what happened? Yeah. So she had made a den, uh, like a hole in the ground <laughs> under under a pile of discarded fallen branches. That's great. And. And I was like, oh, yeah, there is a dog in there. And, uh, <laughs> and the next thing I noticed was a pile 
a pile of small bones and they were like, yeah, she's killing squirrels. That's all she eats. Oh man. And, Oh wow. And, and I was like, wow, did she just stay in there? And they said, yeah, she won't come out for anybody. And I knelt down and she came right over and sat next to me. So you have, so it's basically you're obligated to adopt this dog now. Like, yeah. And she's not going to tolerate anyone else. Magic. And every time, every time we went to their house, I would say, Hey, I'm not adopting any dogs. Okay. Aww. But then, like this dog, I was like, okay, I need this dog. You have to. And she stayed with me the whole day. She jumped up in my lap. And... Yeah, she's my dog. So yeah. she's still, she has a hole under every bush in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> That's and awesome. Every, every now and then you'll find like a carcass. Yes. And it's like, oh man, how long has she been out here with this thing? You know, and, and the other pretty one. Pretty gruesome. And the other one tears ass with just three legs just runs rings around y'all. yeah okay yeah she was homeless for a year in corpus christi texas and uh okay. there's like a direct main line from corpus christi to boulder colorado Aww. i don't i don't know why all the dogs come from there that's weird boulder, but yeah <laughs> but they do and um we're gonna need these dogs yeah. names on the air coda is coda. the three-legged dog <laughs> and honey the monkey honey the monkey is the border <laughs> collie she Honey was, the monkey, Lord of Death. Well, when we got her, she was emaciated, fly bitten ears, and bleach blonde hair. Jeez. But she's like a brown dog, so it kind of looked like honey color. Oh, okay. okay. So this is and, just to say, everyone go adopt a dog. You don't need a purebred five hundred dollar puppy mill dog. Adopt a dog. There's plenty of dogs who need a home, sure. and especially if they are Lord of Bones or have three legs. <laughs> Great. So <laughs> thanks for the t- the dog tangent here. Well, we can remind me to tell you Duncan's story sometime in the future. That, <laughs> Duncan has a great story. We should do that on uh, next episode. We'll, we'll do that like next that. week. Yeah, Duncan has a great story. And uh, so Bruiser here, he's being put into a shipping crate. It looks like they're on their way out of New Mexico. And Devon says they have to take a train because of all the falling stuff in the air. So I was look, kind of looking into this. New Mexico, they have a lot of volcanoes in their area. They have the Capulin Volcano National Monument. And volcanic ash has also caused airplanes to have quadruple engine failure. This happened once in 1982 and again in 1989. So that's uh, one of the reasons here, and we can see behind them, there's this huge plume of smoke coming out behind them, right? See, I just thought it was related to uh, all the shit going on in the world. Yeah, so I wonder if there's like an Ogdruhem coming out of there or something, or if it's just... uh... Well, if there's like volcanoes in the area, didn't like Liz like... Oh, right. Yeah. The at the world. end of King of Fear. Yeah. And yeah, she specifically right. mentions a volcano here. So that must be what's going on. But then she's saying, well, I don't want to get on the train. He's like, well, it's safer than a plane. And she's like, yeah, I didn't say I don't like trains. I just said I don't like this train. Yeah. So it's already fucking started. He's already fed up with it. They're starting off all all tensed up. Yeah, and uh, she's ragging on him, too. She calls him Low Rent Green Beret and Rambo. Yeah. <laughs> I like all the different uh, nicknames that she has for Devon. At one point, Devon tries to put his hand on Phoenix, and she's like, don't touch me. And I like this expression that Tyler Crook gives her. He's always really good with the facial expressions. Devon, he questions himself a little bit. What the hell was I thinking coming here? This girl's no psychic. She's just some nut off her meds. I should have left her with those other crust punks where I found her. Very rude commentary, by the way. I mean, say yeah. what you want about somebody, but don't fucking talk about, so, oh, you're crazy. You are off your right. meds. That's such a fucking rude thing to say. But it is Devin, so. 
Yeah, he's kind of rude in general. Yeah. And we flash back to the end of BPRD Rush, uh, where Devin first encountered Phoenix and her crust punk pals. And here they call him Special Forces. Well, most of them seem like crust punks. One of them just seems like a straight up fucking good old boy. Oh, right. He's the like one that, that was, KKK uh, dude. Yeah, he was there at the end of the last one. She asked Devon, why should you be so nervous? You're the one with a gun, but you don't see me worrying. You might want to shoot me, but you won't. And Devon says that she's not under arrest and he doesn't want revenge. No, I didn't think you were here for that. Not you. Not revenge, Phoenix says. And we get this kind of beat right here where they all kind of look at him. Devon asks why Phoenix said she was coming for him. So that's how that scene ended in BPRD Russia. She said, I was coming to see you. And she says that she meant the government guys. She wants to turn herself in, so they'll go back together, Phoenix says. You and me and Bruiser. <laughs> this is a very good boy. Yeah, so I, I, I like this scene, but it also it felt kind of weird with these two characters because Devin, like we already kind of don't like Devin yeah. because of the way he's been acting. And then Phoenix, she just, sh she shot Abe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And here she says that she's going to turn herself in. But I always, I remember when I first read this feeling a little weird about this. I'm like, yeah. why are we with these two characters that I don't really like that much or that are kind of. That's one of the things about this series, yeah. though, is it's very brave in that it will take you on a journey with these characters where you're like, okay, well, where is this fucking right, going? Exactly. Where is this going? And so I, I actually like that choice because you're sort of forced to follow these two people that you're like, well, fuck these guys. Right. And it, it makes you kind of expand your notion of what the story is going to be a little bit. Okay, so yeah, I, I know she shot Abe, but I, I'm still not disliking Phoenix just yet. Uh, there's something more to her, and I'm really curious, and so that's why I didn't really mind. Yeah. She's a very this. disturbed young person so far. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, Hell on Earth kicks off what I call BPRD in the streets. Right. <laughs> I like that. Um, it's just not a team book for a while. Right. Uh, or at the moment. So you pair anybody with Devon and it's immediately an odd couple. Right. <laughs> nobody wants to be around that guy. Uh, how do I say it? Yeah, it's like connective tissue, right? It's showing you everything that's going on in the world. Right. Uh, and they're they're not hesitating to, you know, get away from BPRD headquarters so that you can literally see. Yeah, I'm trying not to give away too much that happens in the issue before we get there. But everything is going wrong. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it's not enough to just say, wow, everything's going wrong out there. Right. Yeah. Uh, these guys drop you right smack in the middle of yeah. it. And so I think it makes sense because, you know, yeah, Phoenix was going to turn herself in. So I guess they could have skipped this series and just had her show up. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But then you would have missed out on all this experience and getting to see what's really going on. Yeah. Out. Shit going wrong. Great point. Thank you for that. And so we cut back to them trying to board the train and Devon is calling Phoenix on board, but she decides that she's not getting on. The second side powers have gotten the better of her in this situation, but the train starts to take off. And since Bruiser is still on board, they have to jump on in the last minute. So, yeah, like you said, Danielle, it's kind of setting us up already. We know that something bad is probably going to oh, yeah. happen. We cut over to the Zinko headquarters 
And we see Marsden again, and he's showing Evelyn Mr. Pope's Nazi collection that we saw in the Black Flame. And of, and of course, she's she's very unimpressed. She's like, what in the fuck? <laughs> she, looks, she looks really uncomfortable. Well, she, yeah, she says, like, I wish you hadn't shown me this. It's it's offensive. It, I don't. I, I didn't know this about you. And he's like, oh, it's not a political statement. Right. What the yeah. fuck? This is, what do you think? A pol- what do you think politics are? I need to ask everybody who, who his, it's not a political statement when I say that all brown people should die. Like, what do you think politics are? It's literally the policies that govern everyday life for literally every person. <laughs> and it's just like you're hearing like uh, people currently in the South saying the Confederate flag isn't political. It's about heritage. And it's all that. literally right. all it is is political. Right. It's yeah. literally <laughs> the only thing that it is. So he's like he, he he's trying to say it's nostalgia. Right. Nostalgia for literally what? Genocide. Genocide. <laughs> yeah. So uh, oh, he's, yeah. he's like, and- oh, this was the office of a great man. No, it's the office of a fucking Nazi. Yeah, as a collection, this is a collection of the worst stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and Marsden says that it reminds him also of Mr. Pope and how he trusted him when he was alive. Her fucking response. Because she's in this very weird position of like, this man is my boss and I am at my job. She's kind of like feeling a little intimidated by this all this swastika shit. And he's like, oh, I've got a sentimental attachment to this. And she's like, it's a sentimental attachment. To a swastika on a flag. Right, like. yeah. And Marsden here, he's not completely, you know, he does No, no, hear, no, he ends up in the right spot. Yeah. He's like, oh, let's let's start looking for museums. We can donate them to the museum, which right, is where they right. belong. You know, yeah. that's where that belongs. That's put it in a museum, light it on fire, whatever you want to do. And so <laughs> he, he's like, yeah, we'll, we'll put that away. And she's like, okay, uh, is, is there anything else that you need? And then... He's like, no, you can leave. And they go back down into their science basement with uh, all the weird science Nazis. Yeah, so we see the Zinko lab again. They've got the frogs down there with the harnesses. So they're doing the same shit that they were doing in the Black Flame again. Yeah, right? it's the same shit. <laughs> I call this the heart of hubris. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> These guys never learn, apparently. And like that whole thing, the only reason Marsden still has that collection of Nazi stuff and, you know, all those old villains and whatever. I think that's them demonstrating his ability to make excuses. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. People don't and to learn. Just, yeah, he's just going along with stuff. Uh, it, it's like he has no original thought. Yeah. And it, it, it's interesting how this is juxtaposed, too, because at one moment he's like, yeah, get rid of all those old artifacts. And then he goes back in there to the lab to go do all this old stuff that we they were already doing. Right. You know what right. I mean? So uh, he talks to Leopold and he says that they're going to start coding sequence trials. And they mention these neurotransmitters, acetylcholine, choline. Does it matter? And Anna, what is it? I don't know. I think the takeaway here is that he, this, this little dude with the bad haircut says, <laughs> the time is here. Hare Marston, the master's return. Yes, but I do mm-hmm. want to talk about these neurotransmitters. Oh, you're talking about the chemicals because because I have to because I have to do all the research. For okay, this thing. all right, we got to so, we got to do the and, research. And, Hold and, on. and there's somebody who's reading this book who's sure. dying to know, you know what? what these chemicals are. You're right. And I, it's my responsibility to tell. Them. My bad. I don't mean to <laughs> to skip over it. Please, I I, I yield the floor. So <laughs> the, the first one is a neurotransmitter. It's a chemical released by a nerve cell or neuron. And so the first one they mentioned that activates pain responses and regulates endocrine and REM sleep functions. Acetylcholine. And then the second one that they mention 
is called it binds to the thc receptors it's called the bliss molecule named after anatta the sanskrit word for joy bliss or happiness it is considered to be an endocannabinoid a substance produced in the body that binds to cannabinoid receptors okay yeah so i just thought that was interesting Small weed every <laughs> <Cool>. day <laughs> <laughs> And he pushes this button, and he reveals this figure that they are working on here. So, Gross. yeah, what do you what, what do you think about this guy? What did you think about this reveal here? Well, when they said the master, my first thought was, they're not trying to bring back Rasputin, are they? Uh, right. And, yeah. and I was remembering that uh, one part in um, the Darkness Call where um, she's got that last bit of his soul in the acorn, and yeah. you hear him say, you hear Rasputin, and all of a sudden you hear Hellboy hears Rasputin. He goes, "Don't even get me started on that guy." Right. Yeah. <laughs> But this guy that they have, that they're working on, you know, he's, they're experimenting on this body or whatever. He's hooked up to all these vats. And then you can see his right hand is real big, right? He's got like the big right hand thing. So after this scene, we cut over to Phoenix and Devon. Now they're on the train and Devon's calling the Bureau to update them on the situation. And he's like, I'm glad we got a seat. Amazing what carrying a gun will do for etiquette. What is wrong with With him? (laughs) (laughs) Do you also see, like, on the top of the train, there's people riding on top of there? Yeah. Oh, you're right. I didn't even notice that. That's crazy. It reminds me of, like, pictures I've seen of trains in uh, India. Right. And he's he's very, like, hey, if you if you think something's going to happen, you should tell me so I can make a decision. But you're this is a bunch of vague whining. You sound neurotic. And she's like, hey, man. Right. I don't know what to fucking tell you. I'm not in charge of how it works. Yeah, she says, I don't have visions. I feel stuff in my heart. I feel it and it guides me and it's never wrong and it's getting worse. And he's like, I want some Xanax. Let's, yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, you said something about me wanting to shoot you and I want to talk about it. And she's like, I don't want to fucking talk about that at all. Let me switch to something that will immediately get me out of this conversation <laughs> and whomst amongst us. Am right. I right? <laughs> yeah. So she says, I got to change my pad. You ever use, do you ever use that? Oh yeah. Like if, if it's, <laughs> but I've used it like in a, in a situation where it's like, I'll, like this, that just reminds me of being like in high school or something. Right. And you're like, hey, I need to use the restroom. Try not to call any attention to my fucking self at all. Right. It's just like, you can hold it. You can wait. And I'm like, actually, no, I fucking can't. He's <laughs> like, well, why not? And it's like, do I have to spell it out for you? Like, I'm leaving to go to the restroom now. You know what I mean? Like, I'm leaving the room. But yeah, anyway, so. Yeah, so she uses that excuse to get away from Devon. And then he's immediately like, Oh, you got to be kidding me. These dang women's and their pads. These women problems. Well, uh, <laughs> not exclusive to women. Sometimes it's men has that problem sure. too. But Phoenix, this was all just a ruse. She just starts screaming. She's like, stop the train. We're all going to die. We have to get off. And she pulls the emergency exit and just jumps out the fucking window. Like, okay. That, that is, is so Yeah, That is some strong intuition right there. Yeah, so I really love this moment, and um, I was not expecting this at all when I'm no. reading it, and it really kind of like ramps up the yeah. uh, the tension a little bit, because if you're just willing to jump out the window, the way that Tyler Crook illustrates it as well is really well done, and we see Devon looking angrily love at Tyler her. Love Tyler Crook. Love his art. That's right, girl. I'm still here. No way to get rid of me. And so we see Devon jumped out after her. Yeah, too. and then there's something's rumbling, and he realizes it's not the train doing that. That there's some sort of something going on with like it's an earthquake or something, right? Yeah. And so a uh, lot of booms later, and we reveal that there's a giant. Yeah, a big uh, fissure opens up in the ground. There's a big giant hole now. The train 
totally derails and crashes everywhere and there's a just a big long canyon now where the ground used to be and the train is all everywhere and then she's like yeah from now on you're gonna fucking listen to me right dude and these panels that tyler crook does of all this destruction just are crazy all the bodies flying around and everything i mean you know matt you have a little bit more experience with a sequential art than we do i mean is this pretty difficult to draw it looks difficult to draw all these different kind of component components of the train crash and all the different details and stuff like that it just seems like well, a I, tremendous amount of work yeah i it's hard to tell if it was a lot of work or not i assume it always is <laughs> Well, like, you know, earlier in this issue, there's a couple of times where you see somebody put their hand on a button, like to open a door. Right. uh, And that's a zoom in. And I always think that's like some of my favorite stuff to draw. Oh, okay. Nice. (laughs) But that could be just as difficult as drawing this wrecked train that takes up like two thirds of a double page spread. Yeah. But I really think there's no better way to show the ground disrupting. I mean, if you're not going to show stuff falling into it, put a boxcar train on top of it. Yeah. Right. Because you immediately know when, if that's not in a perfect line, you know, something's wrong. And so it, I think, it looks um, like it's loud. And it also gives it a, yeah, it gives it yeah. a sense of scale too. Yeah. That too. I think that was the perfect haha vehicle to use for, <laughs> for this scene. But I, I just love it. There's no words on these um, pages like toward the end and they are failing man they're evacuating and it is not working out yeah the something that always strikes me about pages like this is how difficult it would be to make it look like something instead of just a garbled bunch of nothing (laughs) like i just for me like i to make it look like something specific and this you know the Obviously, uh, Tyler Crook, but then also Dave Stewart, like to make this seem like what it is instead of just a bunch of garbled nonsense, a huge mess on the page. Right. Like to be able to draw little details like this, like drawing rocks and smoke and dirt flying up and train cars everywhere like that. That's such a hard thing to convey without it being like, what am I looking at? I think. So I, I would use reference photos for something like this. So I knew what I was drawing. And so it looked real. But then... I don't know. Do you look up train wreck reference yeah, photo? Right, right. Yeah. That's like, that would be kind of weird, but I love that there's people flying everywhere. Like you were saying, and, and they're like sliding down the top of the one car. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I mean, they, they're just really driving home the fact that, you know, these are desperate times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then like, you know, the door is coming off of one of them and there's just a bunch of like rocks flying everywhere. Like to keep that all, Ordered chaos, I guess, right, is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. To keep that all, it's just, uh, it's kind of a testament to like, to, to make an action scene out of still photos and have it be sequential art right. instead of having it be a huge mess <laughs> seems like it takes a lot of skill and a lot of experience. So just hats off to that whole thing. So as we're sitting here watching this destruction and the people are obviously dying and, you know, horrible shit is going on, the whole time I'm watching this, I keep thinking, that dog better not be fucking dead. I know. Oh, right. I know. <laughs> right. I know. Just a shout out to does the dog die.com or whatever, oh, right. whatever the website, website is. I don't know what yeah. the actual website is, but you know, you can just Google does the dog die. And there's a whole list of like things you can search for of like if whatever your personal aversion is. Yeah. You know, so you can just be like, nope, skipping this one or whatever. <laughs> for chapter two, we get this awesome cover by Duncan Figredo. I love the the design of these bat face monster things. Yeah, Duncan Figredo. Yeah. Or it's not even, I don't even know if it's a, 
it's just such an original design that you ha- I haven't seen anything like that anywhere. Yeah. Well, don't they mention them in the uh, sketchbook? Yeah, we'll talk about that when we get to the sketchbook oh, section. Really? Yeah. I didn't even look at that. For chapter two, we open on Phoenix playing catch with Bruiser, and Devon thinks that this is kind of messed up, right? All she cares about is the dog after this huge wreck. Devon needs to shut the fuck up. <laughs> Devon, not a dog lover. Another strike against you, motherfucker. <laughs> and Phoenix says Bruiser was the only thing still alive in the wreckage. Yeah, it just seems like, why wouldn't she be happy that the dog survived? Right. Sometimes after a huge, horrible, traumatic incident like that, the only thing you have to cling to is things that didn't go wrong, right? right? Like, yeah. what else can she do? She can't turn back time and make that not real and make it have not happened. She has to keep moving forward. And the fact that the dog is alive is just one bright ray in this horrible situation. And he's just like, oh, you don't care about anything but a stupid fucking dog. Go fuck yourself. That, that's all that she has, really. Yeah, go fuck yourself. And she's like, don't tell me what I feel and don't tell me how to feel it get off my ass and i feel like we all kind of right are she's, feel, are she's feeling speaking that. for the yeah. audience a little bit I feel too like we all feel that way about devon right now well you know what devon could use a dog yeah yeah, <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe. that guy is so self-centered all he cares about is himself so if he had some sort of companionship or like a dog will love you unconditionally right yeah. he might be able to check himself a little they're bit they're turning him into some sort of a sociopath like he just gets darker and darker as this goes on yeah, I'm glad you made that comment, man. We'll come back to that in a little bit because I definitely want to talk about that again. Well, they continue walking and we see the sun setting in the distance. Shout out to the mighty Dave Stewart, right? From yeah. all the colors. Yeah. As they continue walking, they come across what looks like a traffic accident. There's this 18-wheeler and it looks like the cabs detached from the... It's been jackknifed. From the rest of it. Yeah, and the, the thing is in the ditch. But I always have to talk about these little weird pieces of trivia. So if you zoom in on the train car there, it says... Klitschko chicken and it's got this chicken with boxing gloves and a crown on it and I just always wonder like what is this is this a reference to something so I googled that and the first thing that came up was in March 2010 WBC world heavyweight champion Vitaly Dr. Iron Fist Klitschko called former two-weight WBA heavyweight titleist Nikolai Valuev a chicken this week for rejecting a 2.5 million dollar contract to fight this spring so this guy Klitschko, he called this other guy a chicken, and then he went on to uh, he went on to win. Like this guy is like super. Uh, he was one of the oldest uh, fighters ever. He was still fighting like at forty one and still winning and stuff like that. And then so, but this came out in twenty twelve, and then so I saw in twenty twelve he actually had to back down from a fight due to an injury. And so I wonder if this is like commenting back on it. I don't know. I'm just speculating on what sure, this little. But he's got boxing gloves on. Yeah, so. he does have boxing gloves. So anyway, I just had to throw that out. I thought it was too interesting to not share. <laughs> and it, interesting that you know boxers still call people chicken. Like, right. I mean, what well, this was in 2010, grade? so it was a while back. No, not that far back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, what are we still in the third grade here? Right. Anyway, Devon asked Phoenix if she's having any of her bad feelings about this. Yeah, and I like how she says, uh, "Yeah, okay. Well, since the train, all I have is bad feelings. <laughs> so asking me if I have a bad feeling is like asking a guy standing in a garbage dump if he smells something funny. Right." <laughs> And they go over to check the cab, and they see one of the doors is open. And when they look inside, they see just the bottom half of a dude. 
Ugh. Gross. <laughs> and Tyler Crick does such an awesome job with all this gore stuff. He's got a Jimmy Buffett keychain here. Yeah, yeah, thank you for mentioning that. That's part of my trivia as well. William Buffett is an American musician and businessman. He is best known for his music. Together with his Coral Reefer band, Buffett has performed hit songs including Margaritaville and Come Monday. And Cheeseburger in Paradise. And his, his devoted fans are called Parrot Heads. And there's a little parrot head on the keychain. So, oh, and there's yeah. also a parrot on the uh, license plate on the truck. Aww. Oh, wow. Yeah, good detail, Aubrey. Thanks for pointing that out. Uh, speaking of one detail, uh, the panel right above the horrible panel uh, with, Devin's, <laughs> with Devin's face, if you look on the um, on his glasses on the, what is it, the left side of his face or the right side, you'll see how it dents in under the glasses. Oh, yeah. Like, if you ever, like, watch, like, video, like, you know, like, old school TV and all that, you'll see people in their faces and glasses, and you'll see their face kind of... The lens kind of warps that yeah, inside Yeah, it's actually the... doing it right now as I'm looking at you. Oh, wow, that is so yeah. cool. Yeah, and so you don't really see that in movies, but seeing that right here in this comic, I was just like, oh, shit, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that small detail, Aubrey, because one thing I was noticing as I was reading through this is, like, Sometimes you can see Devin's eyes through his glasses, and sometimes they're just circles. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it really impacts, like, how he looks. And then also with the sun setting and everything, like, a lot of that would make sense. Yeah. You know? And I really like that they it's put device, that much effort in it's there. It's a device that's used by a lot of artists, and I see that a lot in anime or manga, 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 whatever that is. Yeah, manga. Well, Japanese artists use it that as a device a lot of the time for characters that have glasses and stuff like that, too. But I think it's just uh, something that happens, too. Sometimes you'll look at someone, their glasses yeah. will be reflecting light. No, I've seen pictures of yeah. myself where you can't, it just yeah. looks like circles or whatever. Anyway, I just think that was interesting. Well, between Marsden and Devon, that technique gets a lot of action. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, so they're like, oh, uh, what's going on? I'm, I'm going to puke. And he's like, oh, we don't have time for puking because they hear a sound. And it's a giant monster eating whole entire chickens. Yeah, it's eating those chickens from the truck. And so he's, I like how Devin's like, be disgusted later, get in. He just throws the body down. That's so messed up. And there's three of these things. So they have like this good action beat. They're having a, they're having dinner time over here. And I like, um, I like Devin's expression when the car starts and he's like, yes, like he's so excited that it, that it kind of starts up. And yeah, this is where I kind of get some of these. I don't know, cognitive dissonance or whatever. It's like, I don't like this character, but I feel happy that right. the car started up too. Like, part of me is kind of like rooting for them. Uh, yeah, so it, it uh, I really like how the story kind of puts you as the reader to go through this. Well, and so, it's like, go uh, ahead, Aubrey. I'm it's sorry. Like, I, I don't like him either, but I don't want to really see him get eaten yet. Right. I don't know. I feel like Abe needs to you know, have a talking to him. Right. <laughs> so he, he, he's safe until Abe can talk to him and then I don't care what happens. To him. Right. I think we're also kind of, I don't know. I can't speak for everyone, but for myself, I'm kind of want to see what the fuck's going on with this Phoenix character. Like, right, why is yeah. she here? Why are we here? Yeah. If they don't get somewhere, I'm not going to know. And what's the point of this? So right. I'm already invested. Yeah. They hooked me. <laughs> now I got to ride it out. So this is the only thing I have to cling to. So right. it makes you feel right. desperate just in sure, general i love that and so they're it's compounded by their desperation in this moment great great i love that there's one of these bat face monsters coming at them in the truck and she's like oh it's gonna get us what are we gonna do and devon's like hopefully not dying he just rams it with the truck um and so they're able to get away that's actually pretty cool and i love this phoenix is like way to go demolition man yeah <laughs> and so that's a reference to the 1993 american science fiction film 
It's it a was, great fucking movie. Yeah, it was oh, Marco wonderful. Brambilia's directorial debut, and it stars Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes as Demolition Man. So good. Well, no, Wesley Snipes isn't Demolition Man. No, uh, Sylvester Stallone is Demolition yeah. Man. Oh, Sylvester. Okay, well, thanks for correcting that. He's, he's the Demolition Man. <laughs> Do you like that movie, Matt? Yeah, I saw that in the theater. Oh, what? wow. Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, That's great. <laughs> yeah. Was it what year was it? 1993? Yeah. Yeah, Jeez. something like that. Uh, it was That's right the year I graduated high school. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Let's see. Um, I think it was like a year or two before Speed. Oh, okay. Yeah. There was a song that's, that the police did called Demolition Man. Oh, really? That was in the credits of that movie, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I always like those kind of pop culture references. But Devon, he quickly, you know, they can't really celebrate because he realizes that they're almost out of gas. And he says the truck is useless. Not the truck, just the road, Phoenix says. We cut back over to that body that's connected to all the machines and Kurtz looks on at it. At the yeah. Zinco lab. Were you going to say something? I'm sorry. I, I was groaning. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, at Zinco, Marsden meets with who I assume is his accountant. And he basically explains that he's getting rid of all his shares, starting with 40% to sell off to investors and then liquidate the rest. And the accountant, he thinks this is a bad idea. He's kind of freaking out about it. He says the board could appoint a new CEO, but Marsden doesn't really care about any of that. Evelyn comes in and she says it's important regarding the BPRD. And we learn that she's gathering information on the Bureau for Marsden. It's harder to track now that they're part of the UN, but they're still a U.S. government agency, and we know that they suck balls, so yep. we'll learn everything about them. Well, and also, she's like, uh, there's no such thing as classified information anymore. We got WikiLeaks going on here. And right. So um, why, why are you so interested in this in this agency? And, you know, they get interrupted. The phone rings here, and then so he's going down to the lab, and then this one guy is like, oh, I did everything I should have done. Why did this happen? I don't believe it. And he's like, what's going on here? I thought everything was all was good to go. And then they're like, oh, no, now we're scared because we're, <laughs> we're failures. We didn't we couldn't raise the dead. I saw this guy raise the dead one time and he didn't do it here. And so then he's just kind of like he says, uh, yeah, you told me all these stories. But what about creating life? You know, he's he's done that right. And the guy just goes, ah, yeah, <laughs> he could have just shrugs. He shrugs and he goes, well, we came pretty close. But, you know, we, we were learning a lot because you provided us with some weird texts, some <laughs> mystical books. Right. And so he's like, yeah, well, we had every reason to believe we could do this, but we're going to need some help. And then he leaves. And so the guy with the bad haircut is like, That's oh, Kurtz, are yeah. we going to get punished? What's going to happen? Right. Well, yeah. I remember they had Rasputin as a master before. He was always yelling at him and stuff like that. So they're all worried because they failed. That they're going to get punished. So it's not working out in the lab. And this guy's like got another plan. Basically, yeah, what he's we're gonna, getting out of this. He's going to get assistance. One thing, one little detail I do want to point out is he said, Kurt says, I saw a Cronin fish ahead out of the jungles of South America. And so uh, it makes me think of Von Klempt, right? He right. was ahead, and they found him in in Brazil or something like that. Yeah. So I oh, think that's, that's a, what that's a reference to. That's, that's what yeah, I think it is. Roderick Zinko was the one who actually did that, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. You are right. Yeah, he yeah, found so the head, and then Cronin was able to bring it back to life. That happened in... What's, Wake was that the Con Devil. Oh, Wake the Devil. Yeah. Good job, Matt. Thank you for that. Sure. Uh, and I mean, good to have Matt Strackbine directly on the show so we can just have him here to correct us and give us exactly the information we need. 
instead of waiting a week and looking at his feedback and being like, actually, it was in Wake the Dead. Phoenix and Devon, they make it back to the train wreck. It was the nearest shelter. We may end up not even needing it, Phoenix says. Devon says if they're lucky, those creatures are too stupid to figure out how a boxcar latch works. There's no way to lock this door from the inside. And I know we're about to read what happens, but as soon as they said that, I was just like, they're just going to pry it open like a fucking can. Right, yeah. I mean, talking about their gigantic. I mean, they were already, they'd already ripped through the uh, yeah. tractor trailer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so. But I do like this little, and again, this is just like a little aesthetic thing. I love the, when he slams the boxcar and it shuts. I just like those three panels. I just think they're well done. Once inside... Devon, he starts going off on this whole thing about why he joined the BPRD and he was there for more of the research and not so much for the defense. Nobody cares. Nobody tricked him into it, but I don't think it's me. And he goes, he just has this whole moment and Phoenix is, <laughs> there's like a beat. This is just really good. He's like, you know, frowning and feeling sorry for himself. And she's like, this isn't a fucking slumber party. Right. We're not <laughs> friends, dude. But I just really like this moment where he's like, I mean, think about him. He was doing research in this facility. Now he's in a freaking boxcar with uh, all this other trash about to get eaten by these monsters running through the desert. So, yeah, um, he, he's he's taken quite a turn. And then immediately the monsters start banging on the train cars. They can't even hear each other. It's so loud. And he's like, this was your idea. And she's like, what? I, I like that little detail that it would be so yeah. loud that they can't even yeah. hear anything. But he's focused on whose idea it was instead right. of how do we get the fuck out of here. Yeah, that comes back again to what you were talking about, Matt, about how he's very selfish. And yeah. uh, and then so all of a sudden she's like, what is this? And then they look and like the eyeball is looking in. That through is the such train a cool car. shot. Yeah, it's very cool. It's very reminiscent of like Jurassic Park creepy, or something yeah. like that. I love it. And Devon, he has like a little Kira moment here. He kind of pushes her out of the way at least. Right? He's not like, yeah, right, just right. take her and then sure. uh, you won't eat me. He kind of pushes her out of the way. But you can see they have very little room and then this arm is like coming in and scratching around them. So what a what a crazy way to end that issue. I like that we get a Duncan Fergredo moment from that same exact scene. Like he, yeah. the, like the next cover, the cover on the next issue is that exact scene, but it's Duncan Fergredo. Yeah, and we've talked about this before, but I just really, there's Duncan Fergredo's style is so awesome and just like very just detailed. I like the way that he does the faces and I like seeing his version of these BPRD characters. Like it's not like we've seen them drawn before, but we know that it's them. I don't know. It's hard to describe this idea. You know what I mean? Like I like to see, I like to see other artists draw the same thing i've seen someone yeah. else draw i think that's cool yeah does he have a hand on his face yeah he has like two little uh little mandible things on his face yeah the design of the bat monster so they showed it earlier i think on the hell on earth new world they like get the humans with those little and they're like eating them with those little yeah. side mandible hands or whatever really cool detail something i noticed about well, okay, so first, these covers, the three individual covers are, two of them are literal, like, from the story, mm -hmm. but the very the very first one is one of those classic, yeah, um, like, misleading comic book covers. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You don't see that volcano in the comic, right? And and that guy isn't alive. Right, yeah. He's, you, you think that he's going to be this big menace, right. and he's just kind of... Right. Yeah, exactly. I love that. But then another thing I always... And this is 
this is probably an overactive imagination or me just reading into things or seeing things that aren't there. But whenever um, Fogredo does this ink wash technique, yeah, and, and it's more painterly, I start to see skulls oh, in the art. Interesting. Oh, wow. But like if you look at and like I said, this might just be me. Right. But if you look at that first cover and above the right hand, doesn't that kind of look like eyes and a nose of a skull? And and if it's not, I see those shapes oh, together. Oh, I think I do see it. Well, I, I definitely see like a face above the uh, the blast of the volcano. Yeah, it looks like a face up there too, right? Yeah. So oh, I, I don't see know if that that's one. intentional. Yeah. Well, it, humans are pattern recognition machines. Like we, right. we always are seeing stuff whether or not they're... They're there mm-hmm. on purpose or not. So whether or not it was intentional, it is a cool effect. It does look pretty cool. Yeah. I love that. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, sure. It, it's probably nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So chapter three, we open up at Zinko. Marsden says, I'll find a way. And we reveal he's looking at a picture of Rasputin. As when I saw that, I was like, I knew it. Yeah, <laughs> you called douchebag. it, man. You called it. <laughs> they've, they've sort of updated the technology in this issue. You get... More of a, um, it's a modern looking Mac over here. It's clearly a Mac. Oh, yeah. And we were, yeah. <laughs> I do like you uh, pointing that out, right? Back with Devon and Phoenix. He shoots at the monsters, but it doesn't look like it's doing anything. Although the satellite phone that Devon dropped in the seat looks like a one of those cordless house phones from the 90s. But that might be just like government issue. So it's like, oh, it needs it to like- have a powerful signal. So it needs to look like that, like it's a field. I thought like it was a like field a field satellite. I thought it looked more like a, one of those old Nokia's from the nineties. Right, but I'm saying like in the it looks like a sat phone that's like oh, yeah. made to withstand being run over by a jeep or some shit. Oh right, yeah. you know. And so Devon, I like this part because he's like, she's like, it's not doing anything, and he's like, no, these things have weak spots. I just need to get closer. And so he gets this idea to run up to the monster and just shoot it right in the face, right? So he goes right up to it and he shoots it like right in the mouth or whatever. So do you remember where he got that idea from? Uh, He got it from Abe. Yeah. So Abe did that in New World, right? So he's like all all this stuff about Abe and he's very suspicious of Abe. But Something Abe did just saved his life. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. So I like that little detail, but he gets thrown in the process and then he thinks that he broke his shoulder you know, but Phoenix is super impressed. I like her expression whenever first she called him Demolition Man. She's like, Ah, oh, you got him. Yeah. Then other things get in here. You can just ice him. And he's like, afraid not. Empty. So now their their gun is empty. And this I like this dead, you know, head of this other bat monster that's just hanging around there. And they start hearing like all the crunching and the slurping and all this stuff. And then well, they're so, eating it. Yeah, so I love this panel where Tyler Crook draws them eating this other one. It's so disgusting. It's horrible. He does such a good job with these things. It's really awful. Mm. I also like this idea that it smells horrible, too. We are rooting for humanity here. Yeah, right? yeah. We, these characters aren't exactly likable, but we want them to live. I think it's one of those things where I'm putting aside the fact that... Yeah. I wouldn't be friends with them or hang out with them. I want them to live because right now they represent humanity. Yeah. Right. Well, it could be any one of us. I mean, I I have qualities about me that may probably make me extremely unlikable to a great many people, (laughs) but I would hope that they wouldn't want me dead because of that. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 
Great point, man. Thank you. Yeah, good point. Over with Cronin and Kurtz. More horrible things. They try and dispose oh, of this body they created. And I just love that all of this, and they just end up trashing this thing. And just like you said, Matt, it was on the cover of issue one, this whole thing. Oh, this monster. And then here we just mm-hmm. see them. They're chopping it up and putting it in acid oh, to get rid of it. Awful. Okay, so awful. I'm wondering, why did he go for an axe when he's clearly in some sort of medical facility? I'm pretty sure they'd have like a bone saw. Or I something. was about to say that. Thank you. But no, he's like, I'm going to go out just like an amateur woodsman. <laughs> It's disgusting. And Cronin always puts on his smock. We also saw him with a smock in, uh, was it Wake the Devil? Yeah. You got to protect your full body black leather <laughs> well, he's going gimp out, suit. He's going out to the club later tonight. <laughs> yeah. How is it that Zinko is still in business yeah. after Plague of Frogs? Yeah. How come, I mean, hello, we know that, am I wrong about this? Wouldn't oh, yeah. Abe know yeah. That they were behind all of that. You're right. Like a pope, like he wasn't. Didn't he like dismiss everybody from the board meeting and all this kind of stuff? And yeah, yeah, that's Kinda, a good point. How are they operational? And they seem fully funded. And I, I mean, it's just there are a lot of I businesses know, like that. I think literally every bank. You kind of wonder why are you still right, right, in yeah. charge of everything when you destroyed absolutely everything but it, because it, of your greed. You would have think they would have at least like changed names or something. Yeah, or no, called they it don't something give a different. shit because there's nothing anyone can do about it. They're too powerful. Well, they're like a terrorist corporation. Right? Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You mean you would think like, you know, there would at least be some government sanctions on them or something. Right. No way. And no, like, the government likes them, them. And they would break them down. But no, I guess they got evil venture venture capitalists backing them. Absolutely. <laughs> Over with Evelyn and Marsden. One of the workers is trying to show Evelyn something from a BPRD meeting. And we saw earlier that they have all their files from before they were with the UN. They're probably a subsidiary of like the Gap or something. <laughs> Hulu owns them or something like that. And Marzen calls Evelyn over and tells her he's taking her off the project. And she's like, I just started. I want to see it through. It's frustrating working under these conditions. Yeah, what is all of this fucking corporate? This is so weird. He starts explaining to her their primary goal or whatever. And then he notices this thing that the assistant was trying to show them from the BPRD meeting. And what do they see here? Yeah. Oh, they see the the Helioptic Brotherhood. Um man thing right well that was from the oana's society yeah. from garden of souls it's the well, thing it that, yeah. right there. oh it does say that you're absolutely right but it's that body that johan was like all lusting over yeah yeah the one that they couldn't do anything with so we know that kurtz and cronin were trying to you know prepare this body and they couldn't do it and so now they're looking into this thing right so that's not good you know i actually forgot that the bprd was trying to recreate one because with the whole thing with panya making the thing do something to fuck with Johan. Right. I completely forgot about all that. Yeah. <laughs> Over with Devon and Phoenix, they try and wait it out. And Phoenix says they'll be dessert after they eat the other the other monster. And they notice this escape hatch that's there. He's looking at it like he's going to do something and she seems skeptical. And right. Goes, Why did you do it? He just sort of starts up a conversation. And she's like, I didn't do anything. And, and he's like, well... It doesn't matter. We're almost dead, but I want to know, like, why you shot Abe. Right. She's like, oh, the fish man, right? You know, like, I had a fever. I didn't know what I was... What she was planning to tell the BPRD. Yeah, she's literally telling him that's what I was planning on saying when we got to headquarters. So they think they're going to die. So she's admitting all this stuff that she was going to say. And then he's like, yeah, but that's not true. 
you know, I, I just want to know why it's, it's important to know for me to know why, you know, did you see something in the future? What is it? She's like, I don't fucking see anything. I get feelings about things. And she's like, I just felt like he needed to die. He says that makes you sound crazy. And she says, well, you know, I'm not. And she says, well, I figured you wouldn't mind him dying. That's why you let me go. Or maybe maybe there was another reason. Maybe there's another reason. She's given him a chance here. He goes, no, no other reason. She's like, oh, for real? And she he, seems surprised. Yeah, and he's like, he's been feeling bad about the whole thing. But then right here at the bottom, he says, nothing I could be sure about, but what you just said, now I know I was, and then it cuts off. And so this brings me back to what you were talking about earlier, Matt, too, with him being selfish. Like, they're in this moment where they're almost going to die, and he's wondering if he was right about shooting Abe. And it sounds like she's given yeah. him enough where he feels now justified, right? I- am I reading that correctly? Yeah, and I think that he's taking her too literally to suit his own um, thought process here because she's already said they're just feelings. So when she says, I felt he needed to die, that may very well be, hey, I I had an urge to um, help him progress because as we've already seen, Abe has begun to evolve. Right, yeah. He's physically changed. And so she was a catalyst or her shooting him was a catalyst for that. Yeah, she might not necessarily be like, I felt like I needed to kill him. Right. Just, I f- yeah. I got a feeling that this this form of him needed to die. But she doesn't know the particulars. She right. doesn't know. So like she said, right. she can't see anything specific. She just gets a feeling and she acts on that intuition. So whether or not the outcome was that he was actually going to die, you know, she was like, I had a feeling I needed to do this thing. For whatever reason. And the reason, you know, as we are seeing, ends up being like he's transforming into this other was like form. Met, it's like metamorphosizing yeah. or something. Yeah. Is she, is she like mm-hmm. kicked, it off, kicked it off. But yeah. But no, I, I, I agree with what you're saying, Matt, because it's like he's just using this to justify his fear of Abe. Right. Yeah. Yes. What's the right. matter with this guy? He's afraid of things. And so just yeah. then, they're having this moment, and we get some pretty vital information. And then I love how it's interrupted by just this, like, gross thing plopping out of the hole. Like, they ate enough of the monster where the rest of the remains come into uh. the train car. It was such a cool effect. And I just like um, that they thought about this. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, eventually they're going to eat enough of it where the rest of it will fall in the train car next to these guys. See, this actually probably would have been the best time for them to leave while they were feasting on that guy. Right. I mean, they could have had this conversation while they're, you know, booking it away from there. <laughs> and so we see the monsters go down into the car. But Devin and Phoenix got out through that little hatch that they were looking at earlier. And Devin runs to the 18-wheeler cab, and he has a pretty good hero moment. He starts honking the horn, and so he's trying to distract them. He's like, come on, you giant bastards. And so the he distracts them, and they come over. They jump on the cab. I really like how Tyler Crook paces all this and does the monsters, like, kind of jumping over and everything. And then Devon, he says, want to go for a ride? And he jumps out of the cab at the last minute, driving it over a cliff. And so we see the monsters go down. And yeah, really cool moment. I really like that. I also like that the cab didn't blow up when it hit the bottom. Because yeah. that's something Cause that we always see in action movies. We always see right. like the, the vehicle has to blow up in this huge fireball. So I kind of like that, too. It adds a little bit more realism. I like the license plate kind of flies off, though, and you see it. Like That's a that's one of those fun things that you oh, yeah, and it says do parrot. to amuse yourself. <laughs> when you're an artist and you're doing stuff like this phoenix comes to check on devon and you know he twisted his ankle a little bit but she's super impressed with him and she's like you come up with that plan all on your own and he's like come on i can't answer that it ruined my mystique 
She says, don't worry. I won't tell nobody. And she hugs him. So they're bonding a little here. Yeah. And it makes us kind of like Devon a little bit more, too. I like his little line right here at the end. It'll ruin my mystique. That's kind of like, you know, it kind of, I don't know. For me, it kind of gets me on their, on his side a little bit more. I don't know. I, said, I read that and I was like, shut up, Devon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. We, we've talked about how well the little character moments are done in this series. And we, this is almost uh, completely three issues of just little character moments. And I really like yeah. that. Um, just, just like Matt said, it kind of lets us see what the world is like and see how everything's going down in this hell on earth. So we've come to know, the, the more you read BPRD and, and books in the Hellboy universe, you just think of them as Hellboy universe books, right? Yeah. yeah. But they're horror genre comic. yes yes and yeah. i think like nowadays you could read a book and go oh wow that reminds me of like a hellboy story that's not in this universe maybe it's by a different publisher completely. right right and i think that's funny because as a horror comic these guys have their own unique brand at this yeah. point the way they tell stories the way they use characters but look they're trapped in a boxcar and monsters are trying to kill them yeah, that's, that's really that's really what it comes you know? down to. You're right. Wow. But it just seems like an everyday occurrence in a BPRD comic. Yes. <laughs> like, of oh, course, nice. there's monsters. Right. Yeah. Of course, they're maybe going to die. That's that's what these comics are about. But really, these are horror stories. I just I I always get lost in the moment and forget about that. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. I don't think of it as a horror series, but especially this one that we're going to read next is definitely up that horror angle. But yeah, I guess um, that's just how it is in the world. And yeah, we do get wrapped up with the the character moments. And yeah, but at the core of it, it is just a horror story of two people trying to get away from these monsters. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. I love that. All right. So this next story we're going to talk about is BPRD Hell on Earth, The Long Death. This is a three-issue miniseries published from February to April 2012. These also feature covers by Duncan Figredo, and the first issue was published with a Year of Monsters variant cover by Mignola. Story by Mignola and Arcudi. Art by James Heron. Yay! So we got James Heron back. We read yeah. uh, Ape Sapien, The Devil Does Not Jest, and we were introduced to his awesome style there, and we get to see more of it here. Colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. And I want to talk about this cover of Johan in his new suit by Fagredo. In the sketchbook, it says that this was actually used as the model sheet for a while. If Fagredo had to draw this early, so when they were doing BPRD Russia and all this kind of stuff, they were using this as a reference for the other artists to draw the costume, which I think is really cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, this costume's actually starting to grow on me a little bit, too. Yeah. Yeah. We open in the BPRD cafeteria, and as you started reading this, did you remember this scene at all? Vaguely. Me? Okay. Yeah, I do. Um, so this series, the fans, the editor, everyone uh, commented on the fact that James Heron's personal art style had um, significantly developed since his Abe Sapien work. Yeah, yeah. This, this art is incredible. And so I remember opening this and being like, okay, this guy's what I loved about The Devil Does Not Jest. I am in awe of in this series. Right. Yeah. This, yeah. this guy did not come to play. He is not. It's right there in around. that first page. Yeah. 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 And we see Johan. He's walking into the cafeteria, and again, you can immediately recognize uh, that James Heron has upped his game for this series. 
just this like guy eating in the foreground right here on this front page is just really well done and it really just lends like a good atmosphere to this opening page i also like how he draws his uh johan's original containment suit yeah with the kind of it really does have that bag feeling. Yeah. To it, <laughs> yeah. Know, with the, the wrinkles mm-hmm. around the feet and just the bowls right in the middle. Yeah. Uh, it's great. So this scene, this is a flashback of a scene that we saw Snybeard draw at the end of the Johan War on Frogs issue. That was the one with the ghost frogs and all that kind of stuff. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. And so this was the end of that issue. After that issue was over, Daimyo came over and he said, you know, they had to trash the containment suit and that he took all this stuff for granted. And then Johan says, harder every day, Captain Daimyo. And then that's where the issue ended was that little scene right there. Daimyo leaves and Johan stays there reading his book in the cafeteria. And then so here we kind of get more added onto it. And as I was reading it, you know, like it's very detailed and stylized. We could see all the, you know, stuff in the cafeteria. And then when it gets to this bottom panel, which is the part after it, it starts to change. You see how it's more like nebulous and there's like this weird color in the background. And then we get this awesome effect where Johan is kind of being taken over by some sort of monster that's coming from the inside. I mean, it's so well done that it's horrible. Yeah. You know. And even Liz comes over. He knocks over the table. And just um, the motion, as uh, I talked about this a lot on The Devil Does Not Jest, but James Heron's work just lends a lot of motion. I feel like you feel things are really moving in real time as you move across the page. And the next page, the panel on top is just so... That fucked me up. Yeah, so there's this big eyeball coming through, uh, through that bubble head and teeth and all this kind of stuff. I mean... I don't feel like I can do it justice the way I'm trying to describe it. No, these panels are so fucked up. But it kind of reminds me a little bit of the mole, that uh, Hellboy story, where Hellboy had the dream of the mole, and then it grew into this thing. And so we kind of see that, too. Johan's bubble suit is expanding and expanding. And as we go on, this horrible thing starts to emerge from it. And just the detail of this, like, brain-looking teeth, all these, it's it's incredible. It also started making me think of, like... um... Um, what was that uh, Audrey M that took kind of took him over uh, way back in the BPRD days? Oh, right. Uh, the one that, I guess, went up against Sanchen? Oh, right, from Born Again. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like wondering, oh, shit, is that thing still inside him? Completely forgetting that this was a flashback when I'm re- watching him transform. Right. And then, uh, but also uh, to think about the flashback a little bit too, in that story, there were these ghost frogs and Johan almost got sucked up into this thing. And so this nightmare, it could also be like, he might have been infected while all this was going on, you know, while this previous story was going on. Yeah. And so, yeah, all the work is really great. And then on this very last panel, the bubble, the bubble head is about to crack. Right, and we see all the lines going through the glass. So right when it's about to shatter and it's all going to be destroyed, that's when he wakes up. And we see him, he's in his room and he's in the new suit. I love how this this whole sequence of events go. He wakes up, he goes, ah! He goes, oh, it's just a dream. And he goes, wait, it was a dream. Yeah. Like it's very... He, and I like those little kind of lines above his head and stuff like that to show him, you know, being surprised. It's pretty good. We cut over to... The main room in the BPRD with all the screens and Ponya. Yeah, we haven't seen Ponya in a while. She talks to the UN guy, and he still doesn't have a name, right? Do we ever get a name for this guy? He's just the, UN he's, guy? he's just the UN guy. He tells her of a suspicious event where a family and a park ranger have disappeared in Canada, 
And uh, she's also got the pelican monkey there on her chair. We can see that. And so they're like, we need Marbles. Yeah, they're like, we need to put put a team together. The UN guy says, not my call. And while Dr. Corrigan's in England, her phone service is spotty. As for Agent Sapien, and then Johan, he's just been standing there the whole time. And he's like, I was sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) Guy's like, okay. You don't understand. Without a physical body, I don't require sleep. And haven't slept in quite a while. But I just did. This new containment unit. It's so much like a real body that... and. Panya jumps in. She says, how can you be sure you were sleeping? It may have been only a lapse in awareness. Ah, but I dreamed, Johan says. It involved a conversation I had years ago, almost as if I were reliving it until the nightmare started. Somehow, a creature had gotten inside my own containment suit and was taking control of me. Terrifying stuff until I woke up. Really, Panya says. I read the Russia report. You expose yourself to an Ogdruhem creature and now inhabit a foreign suit. Do you suppose that this is a reflection of your concerns about contamination? Johan says, that's interesting. Of course, our technicians inspected me, so I have no such concerns. In any case, your interpretation is far too literal. And she says, hmm, well, I know better than to argue dream analysis was an Austrian. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, Freud. So she's referencing Sigmund Freud. He was an Austrian neurologist and the founder of psychoanalysis. Freud believed dreams represented a disguised fulfillment of a repressed wish. He believed that studying dreams provided the easiest road to understanding of the unconscious activities of the mind. And Johann says, I'm German. And she goes, yes, right, a world of difference there. And so I had to look this up, too. They're about six and a half hours away, Austria and Germany. Well, then also, um, it was after the fall of the Holy Roman Empire, the Germanic states kind of, like, started fighting amongst themselves, and they split into Germany and Austria. Oh, okay. I just watched something about Ottawa and Bismarck, and they talked about that. Okay. Thanks for that, Aubrey. And um, Hey, I just... well, there's, here's an instance of where we're not the stupidest Americans. <laughs> <laughs> And I just love having Panya back fucking with Johan. No, it's great. It's great. <laughs> it's good. It's good yeah, stuff. Yeah, I didn't mention when we were talking about, oh, who's your favorite characters? I mean, Panya, obviously. Yeah. Right up there for me. And so the UN guy, he tells Johan about the mission in British Columbia. And Johan thinks about it. He's like, British Columbia? And then he quickly agrees to lead the team. He says, put a team together I'll lead it. Right, yeah. So he's just like, I'm the leader of a team now. <laughs> well, I mean, he is kind of, I mean, with Kate off, with spotty cell phone service, sure, right. and Abe and, in a coma in a jar, uh, he's I guess also he's technically the senior right. member of the team right now. But as John had pointed out uh, last episode, he's also feeling himself a little more. He's yeah. like, hey, I'm the guy. I'm, I'm a, an he's action He's a little bit more confident, guy. right? I do action scenes. And I also like James Heron doing Abe and his little back-to-tank thing or whatever. We get a good shot of that. On the military helicopter, Johan talks to Agent Jiroko. We last saw Carla Jiroko in BPRD Helena, Seattle, where she was talking to the Seattle PD guy. And she shows him videos of her son. She's like, hey, let me turn up the sound so you can hear this baby crying Literally real loud. no one wants that. <laughs> I thought that was sweet, though. I mean, she, yeah. you know, in all the hell and destruction that's going on, she's still got her kid. And, you know, she wants to show off her kid. And it's makes, it brings her peace and happiness. Sure, this. sure. And, um, yeah, but I do like that, Aubrey, because... If you had, you know, let's say you were one of these agents and all you had was your phone and you had all these videos of your kids, like you'd probably watch through them like a bunch of times and show yeah, other people. Absolutely. And you know what I mean? Um, 
you're not really going to be taking new pictures of Ogdrahems and no. well, I people would. being... <laughs> you would? No, it's more of that humanity that, that uh, Matt Strackbine was talking about. Yeah. Here. Yeah, all parents love their babies, whether they're annoying or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but do parents understand that other people don't want to see that shit? <laughs> yeah. Um, they have this conversation about the baptism. Johan calls it a ritual. And then so she says, it's a sacrament, not a ritual. And Johan feels bad for offending her. And he says, you know, I'm sorry, I wasn't deriding your religion. I think I've just become too academic. And so she says, it's all right. She's like, I'm probably just tired. And so they all go to bed. And I like this bottom panel where they're all kind of, you. I don't know, there's just, uh, it's very well done. How all the bodies are slightly askew. You can see they're all kind of asleep or collapsed or like turned over. And Johan's just standing there on his own, right? So even, it kind of symbolizes me, symbolizes to me that he's still kind of different. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's still not, he's still odd compared to, yeah compared to regular humans i think that um johan is a good case study for dead people should stay dead (laughs) sure sure because he he leads a messy messy existence you know even the living will you know wonder what their purpose is and what does it all mean right but then to live beyond your what we perceive as our limitation and and to still have like a level of drama on top of being a ghost. I mean, that's just, and you can see he makes a lot of mistakes and he's always like nervous about making a mistake. You know, it's just, it's gotta be way more difficult than being alive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Back at the BPRD headquarters, the UN guy, he comes in to talk to Panya. She's watching all the monitors and we see the Pelican monkey chasing Ollie. And he's like, these animals shouldn't be in here. I know we're shorthanded, but that doesn't mean. And so she's like, is that your phone? So he has to attend to that. It seems like she's kind of taking advantage of having, you know, this empty facility to herself. I just like when he like goes up to Sally, uh, that he's uh, turning in for the night. She has that look of, all right. Well, she's got a little bit of look of annoyance on her face. Right. She's all like, dude, just go. Right. <laughs> I don't need you. And just like this little panel at the bottom where he holds up the phone and he says, what is it? Like, there's just so much expression and emotion in yeah. that panel. I just really enjoy the artwork by Heron. And so on the phone, it's Jiroko. It's deja vu all over again is what it is. He's like, excuse me. And she says, Agent Krause has disappeared exactly the way Agent Sapien did when we were in Washington last spring. So this just happened to her in VPRD New World. Abe took off in this Jeep. Now she's supposed to be on this mission with Johan, and he's done the exact same thing. She's pissed. Maybe he's had car trouble. Wait for him at the rendezvous, the UN guy says. And she says, too late. We're already at the missing ranger station. I'm ranking agent in Krauss' absence, and we've got folks up here waiting on us. So they're just going to go ahead and proceed with the mission. They're going to bed down for the night there at that place. And so we cut over, and we see Johan. He's out there in the woods, and he's looking for the spot. I guess this is the last spot where they recover that Ogdraham creature from Helenar's New World that Abe and Daimiel fought, right? And, right. and, Johan, and he'd, Yo- uh, he'd also put that tracker on his computer. Right, yeah. Thank you for remembering that, Aubrey. And so at the end of that story, remember Abe took vacation time to come back, yeah. and he brought them the little photo, and he brought Daimyo some cigars. So Johan's starting to put it together that this is where Abe came back when he was on that vacation time, and they were like maybe meeting up with Daimyo or whatever. Or maybe Abe came back to Canada for the wildlife, Johan says. 
like the Wendigo and other friendly monsters. And he's got the knife that he stole from Chavez to kill the were jaguar. I'd like to see a collection of stories titled The Wendigo and Other Friendly Monsters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. I don't need any more maps, Captain Daimyo. Johan says, I can smell you. And I like this panel as he goes off. And he's, you know, just his stride, it kind of shows me that he's more determined and all this kind of stuff with his new suit. Then we're back to this lady. She's making a video for her kid. And uh, she's saying, look, these aren't tennis rackets. They're people who use them to walk on the snow. Good night and I love you. And everyone's like, hey, we're trying to fucking sleep, <laughs> lady. Come on. Yeah. And she's like, sorry, sorry. I was trying to be quiet. And then this quiet moment is just totally interrupted. What do you think of this reveal here, Aubrey? Uh, Johan's going the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but man, I mean, it was just, it's horrible. But I mean, it, it, it's Daimyo, so it's still horrible, though. It, yeah. it makes me sad because I really like Daimyo, and yeah. this is what he's become. And yeah. That kind of bums me out. Yeah, so we still see that he's being possessed by the Were Jaguar, and it just bursts in and starts ripping these agents apart. And the way that James Heron is able to draw this thing, it just. Um, I remember, like, in the first time we saw it, they talked about how bad it smelled. And I feel like this, the, when I yeah. look at it, I'm like, yeah, that would smell horrible. The leopard spots all over it, the jaguar spots look really cool. I just really love his the design eyes. of this. The eyes is what really got me. Yeah. I wonder if that's... um. Is that a combination of James Heron and Dave Stewart? Is that something Dave Stewart threw in? Like where I can't exactly. I'm kind of zooming in here. You're talking about where it like moves and it traces the yeah. eyes. Yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. Or when it's just straight glowing too. Like that's something that looks like it would be um, probably hinted at in the original artwork, and then Dave Stewart takes it from there, kind of a thing. Right. Oh yeah, I think maybe there was some whiteout used there sure. or something. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, and the Were Jaguar just starts to like tear all these agents apart. We can see these pick up their guns and they start shooting at it. It might be why he smells so bad. He's always covered in gore. Yeah. Uh -huh. Hey, Matt, so I I've talked a lot about how Heron's art evokes a lot of motion. From an artistic point of view, what what is he doing that makes it so dynamic? So there's, there's a lot of motion lines, but the way he does the motion lines is um, he'll put them right on the characters. Yeah, and that that can be tricky. Um, it's the kind of thing that, if done wrong, is just going to be uh, illegible. Yeah, right. it's just not. It doesn't work if you go a little too far. Right. You got to know. And you got to so, know where you're putting everything, what you're doing, and and yeah, and like even when bullets are hitting him, those little flashes yeah. are moving. Yeah, and everything. You're right. Everything's always moving the whole time with this guy. Yeah, I love that. Thank, thank you for putting that into words better than, better than I could. And you can see how, like, when they're really lighting him up, Dave Stewart colors the room as if there's light in oh, there now. Yeah, you're right. You know, and it was I, totally yeah. dark on the on the previous page. Yeah, and I think that's because of the way he's handling shadow when he's drawing it. Yeah, I think right. Stewart knew. Oh, look at these shadows on the wall. Yeah. They're they're lighting the room up by shooting him. That's two brilliant artists who come together to be double brilliant. Yeah, that's so nice. Yeah, that's, amazing. And you love to see that kind of teamwork. Well, you know what's funny about like I always say I've colored a lot of comics, and I always say that color is the soundtrack. Yeah, for comics. Absolutely. Oh yeah. You don't really get theme music, so you got to do it with color. And you know how like sometimes the background just goes all red. 
Right. Yeah. Or or like a sick green color. The more I create that kind of stuff uh, in comics, the more I wish it was like that in real life. Sure. <laughs> like if, if all of a sudden the room turned like bright white or yellow or something like that when you're afraid or something. A small yeah. percentage of the population do experience that's called synesthesia. And uh, oh, sometimes people cool. see colors uh, connected to certain emotions or sound or letters or numbers or they hear color or they do, you know, they, they taste or feel or smell uh-huh. Certain emotions or colors or numbers or whatever. I've heard about that, and wow! I when I first heard about that, I was a little jealous. On to be honest, <laughs> <laughs> when you say that the color is like the soundtrack of yeah. sequential art, that is something that I have to agree with very strongly. And you know, like you said, you can't unless you're specifically playing a, a certain song to or score along while you're reading the the thing. But um, this is yeah. That's that's a very good point, and um, I mean, who does it better? Yeah, than d- the mighty Dave Stewart. And I loved the panel layout on this uh, on this page, where I guess it kind of goes down. You were just talking, Matt, about kind of using the color in that way, and this bottom panel is just all white, and it's kind of outside of the rest of these panels, where mm-hmm. he kind of lifts his head up, and we see the eyeball flying the and all the eyeball. blood and everything. It's just it's amazing, and it really just lends itself well to giving us all these horrible moments as this thing is just ripping up all these agents. You see it takes one of the bodies and it's like hitting one of the guys with that. It's pretty crazy. We see Jeralco's down and this were jaguar is just... Uh... I mean, they thought they were hunting him. Right, yes. <laughs> and then we cut over and it's just like, it's just so well juxtaposed. We get this mayhem, all this blood flying, people screaming. And then we cut over to this very quiet scene with Johan just standing out there in the I woods by like himself. Beautiful winter night. Yeah, very peaceful looking yes. scene after that horrible destruction and carnage we just witnessed. Johan doesn't find anything. He's like, nothing at all. There's nothing here. And again, testament to James Heron, how he can do the stillness of a moment also. You know, it's not just limited to seeing all that dynamic movement. We also just see a very quiet moment and how he's able to put that. It just really evokes a lot. And again, we see it's how, how hard it is to do light and how e- easy yeah. they make it seem in this this book. Yeah, and just like you were talking about Matt on the tree here, you can kind of see how they've put that shadow there. And that kind of lens that Johan has this spotlight that's shining in that area. Very cool. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Back with the team, they continue to fire on the Were Jaguar. And Jiroko stands up and she's like, you can't hurt it. Withdraw immediately. You heard me move. And they all run out. And just her face down here also, I think, is just really well done. And the color is awesome. How you can see how she's got blood in her hair and everything. And she approaches the were jaguar. She has a fucking badass moment. She's like, that's right, motherfucker. Look at me. Look what I got. And she holds up this grenade. And her face in that panel is just a, you know, it's just a very cool hero moment. And then we just see the whole thing blow up. And again, the way that Heron is able to do kind of the shockwave of the blast and all this is really impressive. Chapter two, we get this reference here. Where I you was talk- about to say, I want to oh, talk about this. Go ahead. Ha-ha. Yeah. No, this is definitely, uh, as I'm sure as everybody has already noticed, this is definitely a reference to Saturn devouring his son. Uh, it's a painting by Goya. We get a lot of references to Goya from Mignola. So. Yeah, we talked about Goya before in, in the Chapel of Moloch. So this is, uh, he's a titan. He's afraid of his children are going to overthrow him. He's going to eat them all. 
So that's a thing that he did. <laughs> and it's one of 14 black paintings that Goya painted uh, directly into his house, on the walls of his house. Wow. Yeah. And so they, that. yeah, they ended up transferring it to canvas using this transfer process uh, after he died. And it's in a museum in Madrid now. And so, like, yeah, there's a bunch of paintings. They're called the Black Paintings. Uh, one among these paintings is called The Witch's Sabbath, parentheses, The Great He Goat. Oh, I know which one that is. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. Super good stuff. I was going to also want to talk about this one, too. The, yeah. The original, uh, I mean, the Goya picture. It's just every time I see that, that picture just fills me with dread. Right. Yeah. And so when I when I turned the page and I saw this cover, it just gave me that same feeling. Yeah. And it's just. Well, you yeah. recognize it immediately. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, mm. it's, it's so recognizable, but because uh, they said Goya didn't actually name the painting himself. Oh. Because um, he was never planning on. Um, on showing anyone. Yeah. Yeah. But then there was this other picture that they said that it kind of references from uh, Rubens called Saturn devouring his son. That one is the the sun looks more like a baby in the right. Saturn's just biting right into his chest. Ugh. Wow. Like, yeah. So but I mean it's just it's it's wonderful art. It just but it invokes that emotion of dread and horribleness. Right, yeah. yeah. And the use of color here is very intense. As we start the episode Johan is watching the video. So remember, Jeroko was making that video for her son when all this shit went down. So she caught all this on video and Johan's watching it. And he just kind of like slumps in his chair. And then he's like, I'm sorry. I just realized the volume's still up on her phone from uh, the baptism. Yeah. Oh, right, think, right. Yeah. The think maybe she cranked it. Oh, well, I don't know. Maybe not. But because yeah. why would they have the volume up on this? Yeah, exactly. Side technical note <laughs> is it easy for johan to use a touchscreen phone oh, with uh, with those like glove hands <laughs> i mean i wonder if like a little bit of ectoplasm comes out and oh sure swipes or whatever <laughs> or, or maybe like the cut the, the 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 fingertips are covered in that same stuff that you make styluses out oh of. yeah <laughs> All right, I'm overthinking that. It's <laughs> no, good. good. It's the kind of thing I would use to derail this podcast like 15 <laughs> minutes off track. I'm sorry, Johan says. I should have been with you. I was your commander and I left you alone. And she's like, I no don't think. No fucking shit, dude. She's like, I don't think it would have made a difference. And he's like, oh, well, actually, it might have made a difference. He talks about how he had a dream and Panya thought that the dream meant that something was infecting him. And she was right. And he kind of goes back in the chair. I just wanted to know where you were. But really, you don't have to tell me, Jeroko says. Actually, I do, Johan says. And he kind of talks, he tells her about the body that he had in Killing Ground. And we see a good version of that by James Heron, where he shows him like lifting weights. I kind of like that panel. All the other agents are looking at him like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he look, he's looking pretty ripped and he's got that big old smile on his face. Yeah. And he talks about how Captain Daimyo turned into the Were Jaguar and destroyed that body. And we also get James Heron's versions of those events as well, which were already gruesome when Guy Davis did it. And then seeing another angle on it is just even more horrible. <laughs> Revenge. That's why I volunteered for this mission, Johan says. Not to find those missing people, but because I thought Captain Daimyo might be here. That's where I was. Looking for Captain Daimyo while we were dying, Jeroko says. And she just kind of looks at him. They share this panel. She's like, you better leave, Kraus. Not until you hear the worst of it, Agent Chiroko, because I was right. This is Captain Daimyo, 
And if I had been with you, I said, get the fuck out of here. And she rips the phone out of his hand. Like, why would he make it worse and go, oh, and by the way. Although I like how she says that she's going to file a report. Or she screams that she's going right, to file a report. Yeah. Because, I mean, fucking Johan, man. <laughs> and so he goes out, out in there and he runs into the rest of the guards and he starts talking to Nichols. He says, you can all grab some breakfast and meet me back up at the ranger station in two hours. We've still got a mission. So we cut to Johan. Now he's actually getting to lead the mission that he's staying with the team. And they're going through the snow and they're tracking the trail of blood that the were Jaguar left after Droko blew it up. Oh, and I didn't talk about that either. I'm glad to see that she survived, right? Because when we saw the thing blow up, I was like, she's totally dead now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking the same thing. And I'm glad that she survived because, I mean, I feel like we're just starting to get to know this character. Yeah. yeah. And she's had some really cool moments, too. So it's good to see that she's still around. I mean, her her phone survived. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. I've seen phones fall on carpet and break. <laughs> she She's badass and her phone is badass, too. Yeah. Nichols asks Johan about the knife. That is exactly what it's made for, Johan says, for, for killing the were-jaguar. In any case, I hope it can. Didn't a sling do what Saul's army couldn't, Nichols says. And so here he's referencing David and Goliath. Goliath is described in the biblical book of Samuel as a Philistine giant defeated by the young David in single combat. The story signified Saul's unfitness to rule as Saul himself should have fought for Israel. So that's this reference that Nichols makes here. I do like um, the little button, the smiley face button on Nichols' jacket. Oh yeah, I didn't even notice that. It's, yeah, it kind of reminds me of Watchmen a little bit. As they're walking, you know, they're they're talking about the knife and everything and, you know, everything that's happening all over the world. And all of a sudden they run into Daryl the Wendigo. So we hear, we see Daryl here and they kind of freak out. I love him. But Johan kind of jumps in. And again, we get this motion by James Heron where it looks like Johan puts himself in between them really quick. You know, yeah. he kind of slides in and he's like, that's not the creature that attacked you. He is my disgusting son. Yeah. <laughs> you were debriefed that we would see strange things out here. Not all of them dangerous. That is not our objective. And so the Wendigo runs off and Johan's like, see, he's not aggressive. He's no concern to us at all. And he starts telling Nichols about the Wendigo. He says, it's a kind of living prison that holds the soul of a murderer. So Nichols is like, a monster with a killer's soul? That's harmless? In this case, yes, Johan says, because the only way that soul can get free is to kill another murderer to take its place inside the Wendigo. The innocent have nothing to fear. And the rest of us, Nichols says. I kind of like that comment. That's, you know, he's kind of like, we're not innocent. Yeah. But they're not exactly murderers either. Right. And so I just thought it was kind of a humorous comment. But anyway, and then so they see the Wendigo again. You know, the Wendigo waits for them again and it kind of looks at them and then it runs off. So Nichols is like, some kind of game he's playing or what? Maybe, Johan says. And so they continue going on. And they start noticing that they're not tracking blood anymore. One of the agents suggests that they split up, and Johan pulls rank, and he says they can't. And as they argue, another notices a tent with blood and bodies around it, and so they approach this one. And just some crazy work by James Heron on this gruesome event right here. Yeah, so it looks like there was a tent here, and everybody got ripped up. And so I want to point out this one body that's over here on the side. Like, they're all fucked up and with the guts hanging out and all this kind of stuff. But there's one on the side that's kind of still put together a little bit. It looks like it's just missing an arm. And a shoe. 
And and, and a shoe. Yeah, thanks, Aubrey. (laughs) (laughs) Nichols says, it could have been the Wendigo that did it, but Johan says, it's not that. How you so sure, Nichols asks. The dead speak to me, Johan says. I'm here for them, and they are here for me. And he lets his ectoplasm out. I really like that. He's always got some cool shit to say. And so we get the idea that he talked to these dead people. And then we just cut over and we see Daimyo. He's with this giant moose or whatever. And so I guess maybe he killed this moose or something, right? Does that matter why the moose is dead? No, probably not. Probably not. (laughs) He probably did. I mean, but did he kill it as a jaguar or did he kill it as himself? Uh, Those are the kind of things that I think about. Anyway. I think Daryl killed the moose. Oh, okay. Yeah. To eat the moose. Because wouldn't Johan, didn't he just say, look at the blood on him? Yeah. And so that's kind of a clean kill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas yeah. the jaguar just rips everything to shreds. You're absolutely right. And leaves all the yeah. innards everywhere. So yeah, yeah. Well, see, there you go. My question got answered. <laughs> so we see that dead body from earlier that was missing the arm. We see it kind of approaching Daimyo. And he goes, good thinking there, Kraus. One hole in that containment unit, and you're no good in a fight, are you? Now this, useless. And he, he throws his gun. So he knows right away that it's Johan. If you knew I would find you, you should have chosen a better place to hide, Johan says. Who's hiding, Daimyo says. Look, Johan, you need to know how sorry I am. And the way James Heron draws his face in that awesome. panel, you know, we already have a lot of sympathy for Daimyo in this situation. But right there, you know, you just kind of really feel his pain. Yeah, I, I actually really like the way he draws Daimyo. Yeah. Like when you see that first panel, you see him from the side and he's got the, you can see his breath coming out. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he, did, he, he does a really wonderful job. No, you didn't stay to face us, to deal with what happened, Johan says. What you've done, you ran away. If you had any remorse at all, you'd come back to the BPRD with me now. But you aren't going to do that. You just can't stop killing. You don't even want to, Johan says. And he brandishes the knife. So you're here to execute me, that it? Daimyo says, with a knife? It can do the job. You'll see. Maybe, but can you? And Daimyo starts like taking off his jacket and everything. And so they ha- they face off right here. This is a This is a really cool moment. I haven't thought of anything else for months, Johan says. It's gnawed at me like a parasite. Your death was the only way I was going to be free of it. I really believed that. But that isn't true, and now I know it. That thing inside me is gone. I'm myself again, I think. So no, killing you won't be easy for me. But you still have to die. And, you know, we can see in this panel down here at the bottom that those kind of bone things are starting to come out of Daimyo. So he's starting to turn transform into the were-jaguar. And then right here, the way that he, when he grabs Johan, the way that Heron draws the were-jaguar is just so gruesome. It just lends a whole new kind of monstrosity to this animal. And then there was, a, even when we talked about it on Killing Ground, they talked about the transformation. And so it kind of goes through these phases in between being the all red with the leopard. Yeah. There's like this kind of middle weird gross phase right here. It's kind of almost like fleshy rip, you know. Like, right, yeah. yeah. And we see Johan's able to stab him. He stabs him right in the chest with that knife. And so when he does that, the were jaguar kind of reels back and it tears up that body that Johan was in. In this next panel, we can kind of see that Johan's spirit is coming out of that dead body. So um, that one's no good anymore. And the were jaguar tries to pull the knife out. And then he just gets slammed but from behind. And then in the next panel, we see it's that giant moose. 
So that's so awesome, Very right? Johan is. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I feel like we don't explore Johan's powers like this enough. How he can just go inside these dead things, but having him go inside this giant moose to fight the Werg Jaguar is just so brilliant. It's such yeah. an incredible idea. Remember when we saw him go like, inside the dead dog? Oh, sorry, Matt. Oh yeah, the dead dog and Plague of Frogs. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say. Um, I think when Johan showed up on the scene, he probably saw that moose and was like, I'd rather be in that moose. Sure. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. But he had to use a knife, so he probably was like, all right, that's plan B. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's what I would have done. <laughs> <laughs> and so the were jaguar and the moose start fighting, and I like, you know, he's able to use the antlers and stuff like that. He throws the jaguar off of himself. And just really gruesome. I mean, Awful. there's not any words. It's just mostly like sound effects and just all this crazy gore as they go at it. We see that the were jaguar, he like pulls one of the moose's legs off and all the innards go everywhere. And even just like the, the color in the background, it's kind of like that idea that you were talking about earlier, Matt, how the color kind of goes in and out or it gets more intense as we get these gory action shots. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the emotional cue. Yeah, exactly. And then after it's all ripped up this moose, it kind of goes back to a kind of a bluish, kind of a little bit more cooler palette. Yeah. And then we see the jaguar was able to get the knife out. So it took the knife out and it's definitely injured and all bloody, but it was able to get away from the moose. And as it walks off, we see the smoke going out of the moose, um, Johann's ectoplasm. The Long Death Chapter 3. And so this is an awesome cover by Figredo showing the Wendigo and the Were Jaguar going at it. So we cut back to, I guess, like Nichols and the other agent. They're sitting there and they're waiting for Johan and we see that he left his containment suit there. And I really like this panel of the deflated containment suit because it's got that shoulder bubble thing on top. Yeah, the, so can, the helmet and the shoulder. So it doesn't like collapse there. Like that part doesn't. I just like that. Of I just like how they thought about that. Like that part would be a big solid piece. Yeah. Nichols says, "Man, make winter a lot colder up here, don't they?" And the other agent says, "Try summer in Barca, then get back to me." Barca is in Burkina Faso, and the high is 117 Fahrenheit, 47 Celsius, which is compounded by more heat from the Sahara. So yeah, that, that is a hot place, and I had to, I just had to look that up. Makes me uh, glad that we only get to around 104. Right. Here. <laughs> <laughs> they talk about their history, and Nichols mentions that his aunt is talking about the end of days. The other agent mentions that death doesn't scare him after meeting Johan. I die now. I know I'm still going to be here or move on or something, he says. There's still heaven and hell. How can you be sure which place you end up? Get your aunt to put in a good word for you, the other agent says. <laughs> I really like that. Nichols is startled by Johan coming back into his suit. So as they're talking, we see the ectoplasm kind of come around and start going into the hand part of the suit. And Nichols asks Johan about the knife. It was working, Johan says, but it's gone now. We cut to Daimyo, and he's got the knife. And we get this moment here. They really take their time with the pacing of this moment. I oh, think it's really tragic to really see, brutal, yeah. you know, we get Daimyo and he's trying to use the knife on himself. His and, facial expressions. Right. They really, so... they really take effort to show how tortured he is as he's trying to do it and he can't. He's even able to like draw a little bit of blood on his neck, but he just has to put it down. And, you know, you can see like kind of like the water in his eyes and stuff like that and... 
just a very very emotional beat it's like where you see him actually pierce like in his neck you can actually see like a tear kind of almost on his um running down his neck a little right bit. yeah tears running down with the blood and so he can't do it and he kind of wrings his hair with his hands and then he just throws the knife away and then he gets up and he starts walking off yeah, so that is so messed up. You know, he's after all that he's done, he's just trying to kill himself at this point. He's got something that he could do it with too, but he just can. What you, would you think about this moment? It just feels so bad for this character, especially because you know I like him so much, and it's just so brutal watching someone go through this. And especially if you know, and I guess we should put some sort of a content warning for you know, I don't know people because there a lot of people go through. Yeah. Not being aware of Jaguar, but like struggling with like, I'm going to kill myself. Right. It's just a very, it's it's heart wrenching, you know, because you don't want to see someone suffer like that. Yeah. Horrible. There is like, yeah, you're absolutely right. I I love that you mentioned that there is like this harsh mental health kind of thing going on here as well. Right. Which is highlighted here. And it's like, I know that, you know, we don't run into a lot of where Jaguars in our day to day, but we run into a lot of vets who come back with a lot of baggage from you know various wars and all of that and so i know that there's you know this this could be kind of an almost an allegory right yeah sort of a thing but yeah like we've been through a lot with this character and watching him struggle like this is really is really heartbreaking and um like you said james heron really goes through a lot of effort to to show the suffering and the struggle yeah. the struggling on his face and yeah it's just it's just brutal we cut back to Johan and the team to step away from the story a little bit. It's just really beautiful art here while that with the campfire and the night sky and everything. I mean, it's just really beautiful to look at. I always talk about if you were to take the word bubbles out, you would still feel something from the art and from these scenes. Nichols asks about the white monster. Maybe it's after the were jaguar, he tells Johan. Johan mentions he has more information that he didn't tell them earlier. There's a soul trapped in the creature we saw, but by a strange fluke, it's not a killer's soul. He was just a normal, everyday family man. Family man? What the hell are you talking about, Nichols says. I've encountered that creature before, Johan says. The blood on its face identifies it, singles it out, actually. Wendigo are demons, not really alive. But that creature hunts and eats its kills. It's trying to act alive or as much like a human as it can. If it could kill, then that trapped soul inside would be released, just exactly as I explained. And it has had opportunities. Opportunities, in fact, to kill the were-jaguar we're hunting. Obviously, it hasn't done that. So you've really been keeping track of the guy, Nichols says. Got your own dossier on the family man snow monster? Why's that? Better get some rest, Ancient Nichols, Johan says. Right. More secrets. Great, Nichols says. We cut over to the Wendigo, and we see that little picture that Abe gave them of his family. And he's in front of this little hut. Is that where they live? I'm assuming so. Yeah, I was wondering about that. But I think, isn't that Daimyo's? Daimyo's hut, yeah. That's where Daimyo is living. But then he's got his picture. Yeah. He's got the, Daryl's got his picture with him there, too. But Abe know. gave him that picture. Oh, oh yeah. Abe gave the picture yeah. to Daimyo. Daimyo. Yeah, right. you're absolutely right. Okay. And so so the Wendigo went to where Daimyo lives to wait for him? 
Yeah. Yeah. This also, is it. Okay. Before we get into this next scene, yes, I just have to point out that this whole series has been giving, and and I know the BPRD likes to give artists a chance to really shine. Yes. But they're giving him so much breathing room here. It's crazy. It's amazing. The dream sequence with Johan. Yeah. That is, the art is doing all the heavy lifting there. And then that dramatic moment just now with Daimyo trying to kill himself yes. and he can't do it. Look at all that artwork. I yeah. mean, it, you have to write that stuff. But I, if I were scripting this, I would start that scene by saying the the artist has room to breathe. Right, yeah. right. And that just as a note to the artist, like you're really going to have a chance to shine here. And then, <laughs> and then you get this next scene. Yeah. I have never seen anything like this in a BPRD comic. And I say dramatic things like that a lot. And then I think about it and I go, oh, yes, I have. But I'm not sure on this one. I think this might be one of the best scenes I've seen in in terms of fights. Oh, yeah. And we've talked about um, we've talked before about, you know, when books have a lack of dialogue and where the artist has to pick that up and, yeah. and do something with it and make it look cinematic and, and really tell a story with no dialogue. And so I think you hit the nail on the head. This is, this is really stands out. I just wanted to point out this from just about, about the picture, uh, Daryl, I'm glad that Abe laminated that for them. So oh, yeah. No yeah, damage to the snow. Nice. And Daimyo, he approaches the Wendigo. He like kind of comes through the trees and they just share these looks at each other. And when James Heron focuses in on the Wendigo's face, his eyes are like, they have that kind of reflective. It just looks very yeah. animal, but also kind of, it's so endearing. You can see that that he's thinking with a, there's a mind in there and his, he just looks very sad and he looks very, and so yeah. I actually looked at this page for a super long time with just them looking at each other, right. going back and forth, looking at each other in the last panel, you know, I can't. And just this page is so fucking good. It's yeah. so, it's a, it's an incredible page. And so that comment, he goes, I can't. All right. And so we just saw him trying to kill himself. So was Daryl kind of like sitting there while he was going to go kill himself? I guess. I don't like, know. Like that's just man. really like the more yeah. that I think about it, it just really pulls on my emotions here. So they were, they were together. Yeah. Wait. Oh, well, so I forget the, was it the warning or? Um, it, it was at the, at, at the end of Killing Ground and then on, yeah. on BPRD New World is where yeah, Abe so saw them. They're connected. Yeah. Um, and, and they have been since they both left BPRD headquarters. So I'm thinking they have some sort of unspoken connection. Right. And so, and I hate to, we need to move on with the scene, but to go back before Daimyo approaches him and Daryl's just sitting there, like, is he sitting there thinking like, oh, my friend just went to go kill himself, you know what I mean? Or something like that. Anyway, yeah. that's just what I feel. No, yeah. Just, just yeah. like you're yeah. saying, Matt, they, they do already have a relationship and Daimyo went off to go do this thing. And then he comes back and he goes, I can't. So, you know, that just kind of lends to me that they both knew about it or there was more communication about it. Well, that I think that they're trying to process. So, so this whole arc seems to be about transformation and dealing with transformation. I mean, that's certainly Johan's bag. Yeah. Right? So, I think these guys know. Okay, we have to come to terms with where we're at here. Yeah. We don't have a lot of other options. You should have just killed yourself, but you didn't. 
we have one thing left to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, great insight. I, I, I love all your comments on this so far. And so Daimiel comes up and he says, look at me. It's all gone. There's nothing left. And as he's walking, he's turning into the monster. It's heartbreaking that he's giving up on even the man that he is. Yeah. And so poor Daryl's just sitting there like, hey, man. He kind of puts his arm up like, hey, yeah. come on, man. He s- scratches at Daryl and Daryl's face like, oh, come on, man. Like, that hurts. Like, it's just very, you feel bad for Daimyo and you feel bad for Daryl. And it's just a fucking yeah. awful scene. And so Daryl, he obviously has to defend himself. He throws him off of him, throws him into a tree. Daryl's still just kind of sitting there like maybe he'll come to his senses or something. But no, Daimyo or the Were Jaguar now is racing towards him. And, you know, we get more of that amazing just action and all the speed lines and the well-placed, yeah. expertly placed speed lines. You know, Were Jaguar's crashing into Daryl, crashing into the ice and screaming and thrashing and flailing. And now they're kind of wrestling around and throwing punches and... It's just in, just depicted so well. Yeah, it's not just a it's not just a mess. It's not something that I skipped over. I've been known to skip over fucking action right, scenes, right. or you know, fast forward through a movie, or I'll get on my phone while it's happening in a movie or something like that. But it's like this is a scene that's it's well depicted, so I don't have to be bored and right. my eyes don't glaze over. I don't kind of skip it. I'm looking at it as though it's something that's important is happening here, and I'm like, I don't want to miss anything, and I. So I'm, I think that takes a really skilled artist yeah. to keep someone's attention while it's just an action scene happening. Because I'm, you know, I'm I'm kind of the person like that. What is the point of all this? Right. But there's each each panel here has a purpose, and it's very, you know, it's not wasted. Yeah, well, it's so choreographed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's emotional too. It is there's, very emotional. Yeah. There's this uh, looking at the omnibus. It says 141. But this middle panel at the bottom where Daryl's just looking on like, what the fuck is happening? And the were jaguar is just charging at it full charge with the tracers on the eyes. Like, that's heartbreaking to me. You know what I mean? That Daryl's like, what's happening? And then this thing is just, it's totally lost control as they go into the ice. And then Daryl kind of, this page where he kind of lifts the jaguar out of the ice and back onto the surface and starts hitting it. Like, there's so much weight in that panel. You can see... The Wendigo straining in that top panel, you can see like it's little so evocative, and there's just so much weight, and it just you really get the sense that this is like they're using everything that they've got, you know, to get at each other. And then whenever there's like a big release of energy, just like you said, Matt, the panel is like orange or red. You know what I mean? There's kind of right. this tint to it. It's that color soundtrack. Yeah. We even start to get some hand drawn sound effects here. Oh yeah. The, uh, the roar, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Heron drew that. Yeah, it does look like that's oh, part of the wow. original art. So even he's getting into it. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And then when Daimyo throws the Wendigo off, and then he turns around and it's running at him. I mean, now the Wendigo, they, he doesn't have that face anymore. Like, what's going on? Now he's like... Well, he's, it's a fight for his life. Yeah, He yeah. didn't initiate it, but he's not just going to lay down and die. Right. And this panel where they make contact, where it's just like the oh. full panel. I mean, incredible, incredible. I can only imagine what the original art for something like this goes for. But just like you were talking about, Matt, those very strategically placed motion lines on Daimyo's mm-hmm. arm and everything. 
and it doesn't obscure the image. It almost makes it look even more defined of all their muscles and their arms and everything. It's so organic. Yeah. Yeah. It's very beautiful. I mean, this like panel could be a cover. For yes, itself. exactly. Yeah. That could be a cover image. And, and see, I, I think these guys are fighting now. Yes. I think it's they're bloodthirsty and they've gone into some sort of a frenzy. But I believe, okay, I may be reading into this, but I think that this is the Jaguar saying, please kill me. Yeah. But I can't help but fight back. Yeah. And, and Daryl is like, okay, man, I'll try. Man. You know, I know it's the right thing to do. God. And I think at this point, he's like, no, you know what? Now I'm just going to kill you. Right. There's no mercy left here. I'm just going to do it. Right. And it's and now it's like truly like a berserker mode. Yes. So it's kind of interesting, too, because it's escalating. If you're looking at the color, it's like as we go on, there are more and more of these panels that are kind of the orange red. And then mm -hmm. as we get to this next page, they're all like that. So it's all kind of tinted with this reddish, yellowish, and they're biting at each other. And I like this moment. So Daryl's, it looks like he's trying to choke the wear jaguar. And then the jaguar is able to get some leverage and it kind of opens up that part of Daryl, like right on his shoulder. You know what I mean? And then on the next panel, it just bites down. And we see those tracers from the eyes tracking that head motion as it just like chomps down on him right there. And that's what, isn't that what big cats do? Don't they bite you right on the neck like oh, tigers yeah. and lions yeah. and stuff like that? So I, I like that too because it's kind of in line with this kind of creature or whatever. Going back here, uh, just right before all that happened, like after the really kick-ass panel, you see him like thrown into, Daimyo's thrown into his own cabin. Right. He gets smashed and you can even see like he's got uh, his rifle and there's his backpack and some other provisions. That Canteen. He has, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. In, in, in the midst of all this huge fight, we still get those details that... Um, that tell us more about the story. Yeah, yeah. I love and, that. And it's like, you know, you know, he's been living there for a while. And yeah, so I mean, I just thought that was a nice little touch. And it will, and it's symbolic too, you know, that everything is being destroyed. Like even where he lived or anything like that, anything that resembled any of his humanity. As the Were Jaguar is biting down on the Wendigo, this panel as his body kind of falls. You know what I mean? You kind of feel like the Wendigo is dying here. He's losing his strength. The pool of blood is just getting bigger around him. And then this bottom panel where the Were Jaguar just roars, that is just what? That is nuts. I mean, when I saw that panel, it's just pure fury and bloodlust. And it's just like, just the most animalistic that you could possibly get. And then the panel is also all red where the other yes. ones are kind of an orange. Yes. Yeah. So then the were jaguar, it start it kind of leaves Daryl there. We can see that Daryl's just like slumped over this bloody mess and it starts to kind of stumble off. And then it it turns, and this bottom panel is incredible too. As it turns, you can see that tracer with its eye, and then all the blood is also kind of tracking that head turn right there. And, and you then can, um, see the shadow of Oh um, yeah, Darylani. you can see the I didn't even catch that. Yeah. I didn't even catch that when I was looking at this mm -hmm. before. I just found it. I just saw it right now. So <laughs> Yeah, we see that shadow of Daryl right before, and then we turn the page, and we just get this huge action shot of Daryl. He's flying through the air. It's a whole page of just the Wendigo. We see the moon behind him. He's totally covered in blood. His and guts are hanging out. His guts are hanging out. Yeah, you can see like how mangled he is and everything. It's just, I don't know. What, what can you say? What can you say about that page? It is um, a reveal. Yeah. So 
when when you have it on a um that's an even numbered page oh right yeah comic books start on a right facing page and that's an odd number so that's number one it's very tricky sometimes in writing the script to make sure that you're doing the reveal on the right page wow i didn't even even thought about that so the way it was when johan entered the moose carcass that was on a right facing page and that was kind of like a giveaway. Yeah. Oh, so okay. You can see how if you had turned the page and then saw that, you would have been like, aha. But they might as well just give you that whole scene in two pages so you can just drink it in. Right, you know? right. I love um, that. But, then, but this is so much more impactful because you're like, oh, I guess the fight's going to continue, maybe. Yeah. But you turn the page and you're like, all right. I mean, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> You don't know. I I couldn't have predicted that yeah. was coming. Um, I I wouldn't have. I mean, it's so gory but beautiful at the same time. Yes, <laughs> this Wendigo character is beloved too. I think you know pe- people love this character too. To to see it in this moment at the very end, you thought it was dead, and then it's not. It's 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 also kind of a hero, kind of a. I feel like that's a kind of a rally moment where maybe the audience is like, oh yeah, hell yeah, the Wendigo's still around. And then yeah, we cut- this is this is where I said he's got to do it. He has to kill this yes. thing. Yes, yeah. He needs to keep fighting. He can't lose because then then what? Right. right. How does this play out? This needs to be final. And so we turn the page, and immediately it's different, right? It's this kind of quiet sky. We see Johan and the team, and they're going through the snow. And one of the agents says, "Hey, we got something over here. Something real bad." And we just see this like huge pool of blood and there's like a body in there shit he got another one god damn it nichols says at least this guy looked like he put up a fight and we see johan there and johan can see the damaged quarters of daimyo where he was staying and so maybe he's starting to put it together and he walks over to the dead body he says agent nichols your helmet please and so nichols gives him the helmet and johan gets some water and he pours it over the face of this corpse and we see that it's daimyo brutal awful and i like how the panels kind of start pulling out and then it just ends on like that that kind of wide shot of the right so they all just kind of gather on and they look and johan says we can go home now the end that is a warrior's death i think yeah i think he would be satisfied going out that way not everything that led up to it but in the end i think that would have been satisfying to him but because he was killed by Daryl, the Wendigo, does that mean Daryl's spirit is free and now Daimyo's the Wendigo? Don't know. That's the question, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Aubrey. And I'm glad you were thinking about that, too, because I feel like the whole story kind of puts that in there. Why do they have Nichols and Johan talk about this thing? You know, they specifically mention that this could happen. You know, if the Wendigo kills Daimyo, then his spirit will go free and... The spirit of the murderer that was left will go inside the Wendigo. With this ending, it's kind of just left. It's kind of just left like that. And we don't really know. You know, we, we, we don't really know what, what's going to happen. I mean, how, how did you, were, were you thinking about that, Matt, when you read this the first time? Uh, definitely. So, okay, yeah, I don't know what happens here. It's vague. Yeah. Um, so, in theory, Daryl would be freed and the Wendigo would still be out there, a true murderer, right? Yes, and I don't think that's the case. Right. Yeah. I mean, did he go through the ice? 
I mean, there's a little hole in the ice, but that was probably from their fight. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they did break through the ice during that during that battle scene. Yeah, and so I, I, I don't think that would kill him. And, and, and I think yeah. it's purposefully left ambiguous. I think it's kind of one of those things like, I don't know, like the end of Inception or something like that. Like, I think where right. they, they kind of put some of these things in your mind for you to kind of think about and wonder about what you think happened. If Daimyo now is in the Wendigo, is he free of the Jaguar? And if he is, I mean, he's not really a true murderer. He's killed people as a soldier. But will he be able to, if he is in the Wendigo, would be able to restrain himself from killing the way that Daryl has been able to? Oh, maybe it's a gray area. Yeah. And they can't, and it just cancels the whole thing out. Right. Mm. Yeah, I wondered about that, too, if it's just like, because... Johan did mention that it was unusual that a killer did not go in the Wendigo. It was yeah. just happened yeah. to be some family man. So yeah, yeah, just a, just an incredible story and an incredible kind of finale to these characters and to this mystery. When at the end of the Killing Ground, when we saw them out there in the snow, and then it ended like that, we were like, "What the hell does this mean?" You know what yeah. I mean? Right. But now we kind of um, this has kind of brought us all the way around. So I want to bring something up and again this might just be when when you reread these things as much as people like me do yeah <laughs> you, you just start to see things that could be a coincidence might not be anything but remember these the devil's engine and the long death were written in a or they were published in a different order than we're reading them today right? yes so when i got to the end of the devil's engine and he has that Thelma and louise moment where he drives the truck off the cliff yes I don't know if you could put them side by side, but look at that panel with this image of Daryl at the end of The Long Death. Because when I got to the end of The Devil's Engine, I was like, what's that remind me of? Oh, and I was like, oh, I just... That's wow. in, isn't that weird? <laughs> yeah. It's not... Like I said. No, there... I, and uh, that that is a strange... You really have no idea. Like, one of these books could have been drawn way before. Sure. And who knows when it was actually made, right? Like we were saying, Guy Davis did sketches of something right. that he never drew. But, um, you know, I just thought that was funny. Yeah, no, it makes me also think of like, um, you know, we had the Storm and the Fury and then we had Gods and Monsters. And with uh, the Storm and the Fury, Hellboy dies and then Gods and Monsters, Abe dies. You know, and I, it, there's always, sometimes you see the parallels between the these different series and stuff like that. Yeah, that's interesting, man. Yeah, I don't know why they would do that deliberately. But. Right, yeah. <laughs> do you want to talk about that uh, trade you gave me? Oh, yeah, yeah. So for the omnibus version, you know, when the when this omnibus came out, it was uh, it actually had a misprint. And the misprint was that it was missing the very last page of The Long Death, where they revealed that oh, it's Daimyo's geez. face. And oh. so, uh, so that, yeah, that was horrible. And luckily, they sent me a free copy but then I had this extra copy that was just missing. That that, was, that one page is the only thing that's missing, the only error in that omnibus. So we started doing the podcast. I asked Aubrey if he wanted I said, now there's a misprint in this, so I'll have to tell you where it is. And then when we got to this story, I was telling him, hey, you can finally bust out that omnibus. But when you get to the last issue, 
switch over to the digital for the last issue because you are not going to want to get to the last page and wait and go open up the you know what i mean you're going to want to read that last issue all in one go so just like print it out and like stick that's what i was thinking Yeah. yeah you could maybe make a high quality copy of it and just stick it in there or something uh yeah no i'm actually glad you told me that because if i had gotten there and it just been all like you know him pouring water over to me and then turn the page and it's like the cover to the next yeah one. All like the fuck guys yeah yeah so but luckily they, they they got that resolved i want to talk about the sketchbook a little bit matt we're in the omnibus so i don't know if you have that we're on page 384 in the back there's a sketchbook and there's this really cute image i really like looking at this image after i read this horrifically sad and tragic story on um 384 there's this really humorous picture that james heron drew of the were jaguar and daryl together and daryl's got his armor on the were jaguar and he's pointing to him like hey this is my buddy here super cute and it almost looks like a you know when you watch um an action movie and then you watch the gag reel and it shows all the stars and the villains they're all hanging out and laughing with each other and it kind of it kind of reminded me like that. Like if it was a movie and this is the behind the scenes. It makes you feel a little better about this horrible thing that we just read. Also like the um the, the band-aids that are on them. They have band-aids of, all over them too. Yeah. The kind word. of uh, reminiscent of um like animation or something like that where you have like band-aids on the characters yeah. after they've been in a big fight. Right. Like it's all yeah. okay. It's gonna be all right. Have you seen this image before, Matt? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just really cute and it's uh, super cute. It, it, it's a good thing to look at if you were having a hard time <laughs> with the ending of this story. Also, there are some great sketches by Figredo and Mignola. They did extensive sketches of this Frankenstein monster from the Devil's Engine that ended up doing nothing, which is <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. I think right. they put so much work into the design of this guy, and then it, you know, it didn't even matter. Um, some great Tyler Crook sketches of the Bat Monsters and all that kind of stuff. He's got a new model sheet for Kate. So he talked about how he created a new model sheet for her. I thought this was interesting for Jiroko after she blew up the Jaguar. They have a kind of a model sheet of all her injuries. So that way, as other artists draw her throughout, she'll still have all those injuries that she retained from this uh, from this thing here. Some good planning. Yeah, really good. We get character designs for Nichols, and we see James Heron sketching out all those horrible things that uh, Johan was going to have in the bubble suit. And then, uh, just like Aubrey was talking about, we also get Duncan Figueredo's preliminary sketches for the cover designs. And um, he talks about, he has some notes on that. So you can see the covers to issue one, two, and three of The Devil's Engine. Yeah, that's pretty much it. You can also see those Year of Monster covers that were variants for this. Awesome. That was a great story. And I'm so glad that we got to cover this with having you on the podcast, Matt. Yeah. Was, it, was it everything that you hoped and dreamed? It was. It, it, <laughs> you guys don't know this, but I basically interject my opinion just listening to the podcast just regardless oh. <laughs> of whether or not i'm always saying no 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 it's this it's that i'm glad yeah no that's i'm glad you were actually here to yeah to, to do that that was great it was so great having you on and so you know the content that we were originally going to discuss this week now we're going to discuss that stuff next week and so maybe you can come back and hang out with us again i would love to that'd be great awesome awesome, awesome. so We'll hear from you next week as well. And um, it has been such an honor to have you on. You know, I know that we just you you give us a lot of feedback and you hang out with us like we're just 
regular people, but you know, I, I do really admire everything that you do. And, you know, we haven't got to your strips yet. And I, I kind of want to wait to have you on until we got to those strips. But I'm like, man, I can't wait. You know, we, we need to have Matt on now. He's just so important. But those strips that you created and just your whole sensibility, the way that you talk, and when I listen to your podcast, you're just very relatable. I really enjoy oh. that about you. And um, Relatable yeah. content. Yeah, you just feel really down to earth, and I just feel like I can start just talking to you. I mean, you've been featured. Your work has been featured in BPRD comic books, and here we're just having like a, you know, just a casual talk and shooting the shit. And I just, it just, uh, it's really important to me. I, I, I really do appreciate you giving us some of your time this week. Well, when we first uh, called you, up too i i i felt like we were automatically we had been friends for like 20 yes, years or something right. <laughs> felt like we've known yeah. each other for such yeah. a long time so it just kind of feels you know, like we're hanging out with friends reading hellboy comics talking to our friends <laughs> i feel the same way you guys and Aww. i i would i would suspect that a lot of your listeners do because you guys have a great rapport with each other but you've also taken the effort to embrace a community here, you know, That's and it's like, point. yeah. And, and, and that is a book club. And and I remember the first time I found out about the book club, I was like, okay, I already know about this stuff. <laughs> I don't need to listen to people analyze stuff I already know. But then I was like, well, okay, dumbass, obviously you're going to get something new out of it from a new perspective. <laughs> and that thing and- was friendship. Yes, and it's a community, and everyone's involved, and that alone makes it worthwhile, but you guys do it so well that, you know, mutual, I felt like, you know, I've talked to you a million times. Well, awesome. And thanks for having me on. Yeah, I really appreciate the, uh, the opportunity. This is so fun. Oh, thank awesome, you for coming on. Awesome, awesome. Well, do you have anything oh, yeah, I'm plug? sorry. Yeah, please plug all your stuff, Matt. Um, I, I don't have a lot of stuff to plug. I will say that I've done three comic books uh, recently, one that I already mentioned that I would like people to pick up because they're for a good cause. The first one is Where We Live, which is an anthology put together by J.H. Williams III and his wife, Wendy. They live in Las Vegas, so that tragedy was very close to home for them. And the book was on the bestsellers list, the New York Times bestsellers list, I believe. Wow. It was the top selling book the month it came out, which was May of last year. And it's been nominated for an Eisner. So if it wins, that just means it'll benefit the survivors of that tragedy even more. So, but, you know, the book is available at comic shops and bookstores. So like, you know, regular book retail shops, not just comic shops. Right. Uh, and there's another one called The Good Fight. That's another anthology, which is uh, anti-bigotry and anti-hate. Awesome. There's a lot of people in that book as well. It was a Kickstarter, so I'm not, but like a lot of the same people that were on Where We Live were on that okay. behind the scenes. Cool. So I'm not sure if you can, you'll be able to get that at comic shops, but it's the kind of thing that you might have to seek out. Uh, All the creators have copies. So if you're at a convention, just keep your eye out for it. Nice. Snag it and And, take a picture of it and tag, tag him on Instagram. What's your Instagram? Exactly. My Instagram is at friends of Strackbine. Okay. And, uh, oh, and I just did a third book that comes out this week at Denver pop culture con, which is uh, the 31st of May through June 2nd. It's called Connection Through Comics. It is comic adaptations of actual accounts 
of refugees who have resettled from around the world in Colorado. Wow. Yeah, and we're doing translated versions online for free. Of course, you want to buy the copy and have it, you know, physical in your hands. But uh, we're going to translate each one of them in their native language and make those available for free online. Doing lots of good stuff. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so I'll plug that stuff as much as I can. Otherwise, I have a podcast that I don't really put much into. <laughs> Give Matt Strackbine a shouts out in your stories on Instagram or wherever you do your social media. Because yeah. this guy's doing a lot of yeah. good. Spread the word and raise some money for some people in need by utilizing his skills. And that's what it's all about. Thanks, Matt Strackbine, for doing that. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> All right, and so great episode. So next week we'll be talking about an unmarked grave. Hopefully, we'll we'll, we'll get to do it next week. <laughs> We've got some more surprises in store, also, and hopefully we'll have Matt back as well. So I'm looking forward to it. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody, share with us your thoughts on the long death and the devil's engine. You can send us a hey you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find the Discord link on our Facebook page. Also, be sure to check out our friends at Mignolaverse.com and the wonderful things they're doing over there. And always a thank you to Paul from Gardaharn for the wonderful theme song. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from next week i promise we're really gonna try and get to bprd hell on earth an unmarked grave you know what to do pull out your back issues trades omnis library app actual issues borrow them from a friend and join us next week on the hellboy book club podcast oh and a special thank you matt for joining us this week thanks matt thanks a lot everybody i'm john salinas i'm danielle and i'm matt schreckbein and i'm aubrey lovacy i ain't dead yet ah nice (laughs) 